If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine. The nation's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show. Out front and out loud since 1974. I'm Wendell Jones. And I'm Abby Dees. And welcome to our 20th annual OutFest kickoff program. And helping us sort through the best of the fest tonight is a special guest host who is a friend of the show and an icon in the LGBT film community. Okay, you want to guess? It's Could it be in the flesh before our very eyes? J.D. DeSalvatore. Hey, J.D. Hey, guys. How are you? Fine, so, thank you, and I'm so glad you're here. And thank you for spending your 4th of July evening with <laughs> yeah. us, but we'll get you out in time for the fireworks. I'm Who needs sure hot dogs and fireworks I exactly. have, when we have queer cinema? Yeah, thank th- that's you. true. The fireworks are all on the screen. And in this two-hour special, we'll tell you everything you need to know about Outfest as we talk in studio with... The subjects of the documentary Raising Zoe, Zoe Luna and her mom, Ophelia Barba. Hunky Dory Co writer and star Thomas Pais. And Tim Kirkman, the director and writer of Lazy Eye. And now back to the producer of the award-winning film Shelter, A Marine Story, and the animal rights activist. And everything else. And everything and our favorite person, J.D. DeSalvatore. Welcome, J.D. Hey, guys. Okay, so, but you also, you're here because you've got the inside scoop on Outfest. So I just want to ask you first, how do you come by the inside scoop? Uh, I've just been attending Outfest since uh, 1998, and then, you know, I was festival manager for a few right. years, and then I've just basically been attending for 16, 17 years. I buy a pass. I think it's the best way to do the film festival, go every day, every other day, and see see two, more than one movie in a day. I mean, they have basically, they have parties and receptions, so you can see a movie, go to a reception, then go see another movie. You get to run into everybody you've ever known in L.A. that's gay, you know, in the lobby, people you've worked with, your kids' teachers. Your exes. Yeah, your exes. We used to have a long-running joke with that on All Girl Friday. Um, so, yeah, it's just, I feel like it's it's like, I like it better than Pride. I think it's a great place for us to come together as a community at a cultural event. Yeah. It's about the arts. We get to learn about our history, get to share stories of what's going on with LGBT people around the world. It it helps motivate conversations among us, you know? It's well, it's a good time. And because you've seen it you've known it from the inside, when you're now attending from the outside, you often find yourself thinking, I wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't pick this lineup. I wouldn't have. Oh, yeah. Fortunately, I was never a programmer because that's, Uh man, they live in like Plato's cave. When I worked there, they were in this little cave and you you threw in some food every now and then. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and a bucket. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to be the one programming this. But, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, every couple of years, you know, my my former party coordinator and I were like, 
Well, we had 24 caterers at this party. <laughs> All right. But you've seen a ton of these films. Yes. And before – and the festival hasn't actually started. What's the 411 on – well, all the info you need is going to be at outfest.org as far as where Correct. to go, when to go, and all that. But the opening day of the festival is? Uh, the opening night gala, as we call it, at the classic 1926 movie theater, the Orpheum Palace downtown, is this Thursday. I would highly recommend people go. If you get one of those $75 tier tickets, it includes an amazing after party with around, you know, 2,200 people, uh, food, drink, dancing all night. It's just a lovely, lovely time. You'll get to see everyone who is everyone that's gay in L.A. It's just a really lovely time. And I feel like personally it's just really reasonably priced because they have an entire program. They give out awards. uh, You know, they have a screening of a film. This year the film is Intervention, and it's got like two really big-time – lesbian stars in it uh you know the butt on my cheerleader alumni Mm -hmm. there you know so uh you know and it's also got all these independent actors so it's a good ensemble piece for boys and girls so and it's funny it's called the intervention so uh i think there's a great opening night film for them i think everyone's going to enjoy it and then everyone's going to have a great party and this is the kickoff and then you know you can just go down to the directors guild of america on this weekend or the following weekend and just walk in grab a program sit down mix and mingle and then pick your movies and buy your tickets there at the box office do you have to reserve for all this to all the movies or can you just go hey it's saturday afternoon i think i want to go down there I love doing that. I, As I said, I have passes, so I walk in. You know, because the other thing is once the festival starts, you get festival buzz. People start telling you what's good, what's not good, and then everyone wants to go to something. I can promise you the films that say explicit sexual content will probably sell out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then this year we're back at the Ford, which is like one of the best Such times ever. Theater. So they'll have four or five nights out there where you can see a movie under the stars with all your LGBT brothers and sisters and you can picnic and you can drink wine and it's a good time. That is one of the best venues in LA. It and is. Yes. And it's like a secret though. Most it people is, have never it. been there. I saw Katie Lang Don't there. Tell anyone. And it was just like, it was like a garden party mm-hmm. with all these people I didn't know but I felt like I knew them. It, that is a beautiful summer venue. It's all the fun of the bowl with half the hassle. Yeah, and it's really yeah, fun to see some of these size. movies with a gay audience and after a few bottles of wine. Um, <laughs> it's like a hundred, I think, I wonder if it'll still be, it used to be a thousand and uh, 1180 seats. So you can tell I used to work there. I know the seating at all mm. the theaters, wow. you know? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just a really good time. I know they're going to have a preview of the new Ghostbusters movie there. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be. That's cr- not part of Outfest, is it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is, really? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lesbian star in it. Probably maybe even playing a lesbian character. But I think, you know, that's such a girl power film that that entire audience that night will be women and drinking and eating and picnicking. And I think it'll be a lovely time. And it's a lovely venue. And, you know, the bowl has kind of crazy stack parking. But the Ford, it's not too bad because the theater is substantially smaller. So that's a good time as well. But, yeah, the, the Outfest is a place you can bring your parents, you can bring your friends, you can bring your kids. It's just a great time and I always love to see like every year I get really excited like what's going on in the gay world you Mm -hmm. know because people are making films about whatever's basically happening in the collective unconscious of the gay community like what what matters to us what issues are happening and stuff like that so and and this year I have to say the documentaries as per usual like Gosh, I love learning new things. Mm-hmm. And even I, you know, an old dyke can learn new things. Like I thought I'm I thought I'm pretty well versed in LGBT history and uh I even learned some new things. So, they're, they're, you know, it's exciting. And I think 
you know, now we have gay movies, gay characters on TV. I mean, it's ridiculous. They die after a few episodes, but we've got, like, they gay must. characters on TV. And, um... But there's still something different about a gay movie that's un- unabashedly gay. Did you, you know? say collective unconscious, like our collective unconscious? You know, what's experience? going on in our world? I you think know? that's a really, I, I'm so glad that you said that because as I was looking at the films, um, you know, a few of the screeners that I saw and mm-hmm. then looking at the description, I was sort of noticing like things that I wouldn't have seen 20 years ago at Outfest, themes that mm-hmm. wouldn't be as sort of popular, like aging. Seems to be something that's issue. coming up, you know, and when mm-hmm. Outfest started, it was all coming out stories. And so it's yeah. interesting. It's like aging stories. There's a lot more trans stories. Oh, very and good. intersectionality, all... yep. you know, and I'm just wondering what kind of, and I mean, that's so that's who we are. That's what we're dealing with. What So what kinds of evolutions have you seen in Outfest? Yes, there's definitely a, an evolution. And the way we study film when we study film history is like when you think about the Cold War in America in the 50s and 60s and there was all this paranoia, you see that reflected in cinema, you know. And Scorsese famously says like the American Western films that came out were actually about, you know, the politics of America at the time in Vietnam. So what's really going on in our lives get reflected in our art. So whatever people decide to make movies about, it's sort of an interesting pulse on the LGBT world. And at an international film festival like Outfest, it's from people all over the world. So it's interesting. So this year, yeah, you 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 nailed it. The other subject matter that's coming back that I think is tremendously important is the, is the AIDS uh, time. Because I think uh, we've come for full circle where nobody remembers and we got to start reminding people. When I was making films, you know, at the early 2000s, I remember I got a lot of flack because I wouldn't make an AIDS movie. And that's not that I don't think that that's important. But I realized that we as a community were making all these AIDS movies when young LGBT men and women were just starting to watch movies. So they were 9, 10, 11, 12, and they would watch these movies where we were gay and we were dying. And I was like, you know what? We got to do that. But I'm Mm -hmm. Right. But it's also about, you know, our LGBT kids have enough problems. They're already, you know, what we go through. So that's why I made a movie like Shelter, and that's why I made, you know, Eating Out 2. And the movies I made, it was like, okay, nobody's going to die, you know? Mm. And I want kids to be able to see a movie where it's okay, you know, you're gay and nobody dies, you know? But now we're at the point where we need to be making all these films because I don't think anybody remembers. And holy cow, can we stop for a minute and talk about what happened? We lost everybody. Yeah. Everybody died. There was these years, there's a Zika virus and it's all over the news. I mean, right. there were thousands of people dying and no one even talked about it. Our friends it. were dying. Our lovers were dying. Yeah. And there's many, many films in the festival this year with, with an AIDS subject matter that are all fabulous, fascinating. And, and well worth going to see, even if you're familiar with the time period. But I would highly recommend, you know, if, if you're young and you don't know that much about it, catch some of these docs. They're really just, it's great that we had video at the time just starting out. So people mm-hmm. have documented. And there's some really great documentaries about that. Another great documentary I told you about, uh, about Sto- uh, kind of Stonewall, but that major documentary. Major? This woman was at Attica. And the Stonewall riots. Oh, my goodness. I mean, how can that be? Oh, wow. Yeah. She was like the the Zelig of riots? Oh, my God. That's funny. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, so there's I love the docs, and, and there's some great docs, too. But there's still those fun movies, like date night movies, too. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so specific movies. Yeah. What me. are your favorites? 
Start. Uh, I know that you can't, you know, they're all good, but what are your favorites? Well, I hate to do favorites because it's like everyone likes different things. Yeah. yeah. And I'm always hard on movies because I just consume so much of them. But uh, I really liked Holding the Man. Mm-hmm. I really like okay, that. Okay, and that is? It's based on a famous memoir. It's sort of uh, in Australia about uh, a man's love love affair with his boyfriend, uh, and they eventually died uh, of AIDS. And I guess it's just like the equivalent of what Paul Monette was in the United States. So this this novel was very popular, and now they've made it into a movie. It was also a famous play, I guess, in Australia. But it's just like Edge of 17 meets Longtime Companion. But I, I really liked it. I thought it was, you know, had and this it, sweet romance. And then it showed really honestly, but not too overtly, yeah. the beginning of the AIDS epidemic and what that meant to us. And the play was such a big deal in Australia. They actually brought it yes. here, a, a whole Australian theater company. And Steve and I went to see it. Yeah, yeah. It's, I got a pair of underwear out of it. Aussie bum. I'd, Aussie bum. Mm-hmm. Aussie, 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 Aussie. Aussie. <laughs> um, so that was really good as far as... Uh, I saw Estros. That was pretty good. It's a romance, a uh, Spanish language romance about mm-hmm. two boys that grew up together, and then they they obviously have a little love between them, and then they they meet again when they're adults. Um, I absolutely loved the big porno movie there, uh, Teo and Hugo. Oh, yeah. Did you see that? It starts I... with an 18-minute orgy. Yes, it does. And uh, and after that, it's like weekend. Yeah. It's just like, in fact, you know what? There were several movies. You can tell the influence that movie Weekend had. Weekend is by Andrew Hay, mm-hmm. who went on to do Looking at HBO. But Weekend was such a great hit that there's several movies in this year's festival that are two get gay men that talk. Although I think I think uh, I, it's probably because I'm getting older, but the thing that stuck with me about that movie the most was when one of them goes to the hospital and how easy it was to yeah. check into a medical facility oh, yeah. I and was, how untraumatizing and how little paperwork. And I thought, oh. I was seething with jealousy. I know, I know. Yeah. I love those unintentional things that we yeah. notice. Like, what was the most striking thing? It's like you could just walk into the hospital and not worry about yeah. your copay. But it yeah. has like two guys. That, it was just like weekend. You know, yeah. there's two guys who's kind, kind of handsome but ordinary looking enough and the sort of long lingering camera. And then it's like, uh, I think Steve said it's like trick, you know. So they spend... They they after leaving the orgy they spend the night walking around. Is it Paris? I don't know where they I are. I assumed it was. Just oh yeah, Paris. <laughs> Theo and Hugo. Yeah, um, and then I'm just looking at the list of the of the movies I saw. I mean, I have to say I really love that major. It's about this woman, African American trans woman activist. I just can't recommend it enough, just because it's just fascinating from beginning to end. And I mean, something to learn, you know. She's a she's a, a trans activist that that does these services, uh, helping trans women for I, I'm assuming 40, 50, 60 years now, because she was at Stonewall, and then she was imprisoned and was at the Attica uprising. So this is uh, something we all have to learn from and and real insight into a world of, you know, we always stay, we stand on the shoulders of the giants before us. Speaking of political animals is another one where we talk about the four California uh, uh, assembly women. Right. Sheila uh, Kuehl and... Sheila Kuehl, Jackie Goldberg, Carol Midgen, and Christine Kehoe. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there's there's moments of that film sort of at the beginning where they show these long clips of legislation. This it, Political Animals is a must-see documentary. It's fascinating. Again, we just got marriage a couple years ago, and we know the fight recently was really, really, really an uphill battle. Well, 
take it back, you know, to the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And these are sort of the women that they, none of them seem to want to take credit for doing anything, Mm -hmm. but they just feel like they're spokes in the wheel. But these women are fascinating. And if you want to look at, you know, the first people who dared bring up LGBT rights in any sort of, you know, congressional way. And it's fascinating. Well, and one of the most interesting things about that movie to me was, and we had Sheila Kuehl on the show a few weeks back, was um, when she makes the point that during the AIDS crisis, it was up to the women to organize. I'm glad they included Because the gay that. men didn't have that in their toolkit yet. And coming out of the feminist movement, they knew how you get your cause before the public. I'm glad that was so interesting. Brought that up. Yeah. yeah, I think. Well, the director, one of the directors, is Jonah Markowitz, who directed Shelter, mm-hmm. the film I produced. Um, uh, so yes, it was. I like that they included that because we all kind of the, again. This is our LGBT history. So you know, gay men and lesbians didn't always get along. In fact, when they first opened the Gay and Lesbian Elder Center here in town, my friends who worked there said it was hard to get the really old lesbian and gay men to, like, play cards together because they still were from that 50s and 60s generation. So there are some movies like um, We Were Here about uh, the AIDS crisis, which you can watch on Netflix, I believe. They talk about how the women came forward. But basically when the AIDS crisis started is when lesbians and gay men started to get along as a community because they had to work together. And as you said, the lesbians were already used to uh, picketing right. and social cause work. And the gay men were like, "What? what's yeah. the joke? There's a great joke at, at the beginning of Political Animals about that. Oh, I don't remember. She's like, oh, it's my, f-, you know, the gay man is yeah, like, yeah. oh, it's my first protest. And she's like, well, yeah, I'm on about 600 right, right now. Right, 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 <laughs> Well, and, and like my boyfriend used to have a, a job as the um, bouncer at a gay bar and he did not let women in. He I was instructed out, not to. I came out in Hollywood in 1984. And yeah. that was, you know, yeah. that was when we were starting to get hit hard. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I came out, I came out via a feminist sort of, that was, that was where I got to learn how to be a lesbian. Yes, it's true. They do convert us into lesbians. <laughs> um, you know, and that was, I had such a sense of something being birthed at that time that we mm-hmm. were becoming friends. We were becoming family. And it's so, and kind of, to your point, going back to remember that time, I think the community now, young people who aren't even LGBTIQ, they're just who they are. They're mm-hmm. already think. I mean, they're so far ahead. They, mm-hmm. they're just family. They just are, you know, we're together. I mean, and, I'm hoping know, everybody still I'm, gets I'm, along or finds I'm a way to get along. I'm hoping we do that. But yeah. what an interesting thing to sort of, you know, yes, there's the horror of the HIV um, crisis, but also there's that beautiful story of like, how did we become a community? Precisely. You it's know? so sad, but that, that AIDS epidemic, I think, you know, all the kids now, the millennials, if you will, when I explain it to them, when I have LGBT interns and I tell them like, no, everybody died. Yeah. And we tell them because, you know, anybody over a certain age understands that all your friends died. Yeah. You know, and it's like they look at me like you're crazy, like they can't even fathom that it happened. And that's even before you get into the fact that Reagan wouldn't talk about it. Right. I mean, not only did they all die, nobody cared. For nobody the cared. Time. And Gay Pride 85, I remember, was like a funeral procession. Right. Mm-hmm. It was so under, so low key and sad. And... You know, not that you want to rub people's, you know, faces always in. You don't forget. We it's fight the history. for you. But mm. history is important. It's just fascinating history. And I think it's it's another reason for us to be proud of ourselves. Like like that movie said, like we survived a plague. And actually, there's a documentary I saw in the festival this year, which is called uh, Last Men Standing. And that is about 
these people are always interesting to me, which are the survivors, people that were diagnosed in the early 80s that are still alive. Right. That somehow lived through the fact that everybody else died. So there's a movie called Last Men Standing, and it basically follows about eight of them as they talk about their life. And it's also about aging and being older. And the other – let me just mention the other uh, documentary I freaking loved and I think everyone will love and you should just go see it if you like Madonna, which is Strike a Pose. Tell me more because we were trying to get the dancers on the show and we didn't. They were out of town, I heard. I don't know what the story was. They're but... out of town. They're not in town, or we, we, we would have, absolutely, we should get them on. Yeah. This documentary is fantastic. It's basically, you know, um, Madonna's Truth or Dare told from the point of view of the dancers. It's amazing. It's very gay. It's about gay history, because yeah. at the time, I didn't realize this, but uh, they became sort of gay icons because she outed them in the movie, and there was a male-to-male right. kiss. Right, and you know, we all didn't think much of it at the time, but I guess it was very influential the world exploded. for children that were gay, you know, in the, you know, think of little Johnny in the Midwest, right. you know, and he sees two boys kissing, and then they become his idols. But it's a fascinating study of these men. I really love the movie. It's, it's, it's sensational, I think. I mean, I really was riveted, and they're all still dancing, and it's fun to see them now. You know, I mean, I'm a lesbian, but I saw that movie a few times. I recognized each one of them, you know, and they get them back together. But it's a story about all of them, and I guess one of them passed of AIDS. So, again, they talk about HIV and Mm -hmm. AIDS because this movie was right after AIDS started. Yeah, what year was Truth or Dare? Because it doesn't seem like that long ago to me, but it was a while ago. Oh, no. 89, 90, so it was before the the new drugs. Yeah, Yeah. these guys all have gray hair. Yeah. (laughs) And they're cute. They all still dance. I mean, it's a great little documentary. And and if you like like Madonna, too, I mean, there's great footage in it of the time, you know, that they got. And it's sort of like their perspective on, on the making of Truth or Dare. A lot of, you know... It's interesting because some of those kids were plucked from obscurity. I guess I think it was Kevin that says, you know, the and he was in Newsies, one of those guys, you know. Oh. I mean, they weren't not professional. They're professional right. dancers. But um, he said it was like hundreds of people showed up. And I think they only picked a handful of dancers, male and female. And there's only maybe five or six male dancers. And they were all young and not all of them were gay. There's mm-hmm. one that was straight. But it's fascinating because they all got super famous all of a sudden, and young, whoopsie, mm. you know what happens there. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Uh, but anyway, great little documentary. I, You'll love it. And before we go on, and if you've just tuned in, we are talking actually about Outfest and the the gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans, queer, I, everything. Um, it's all there. Interna- it's all there. International Film Festival that is opening up. This week, and we're talking to J.D. DeSalvatore, who always has the inside scoop on this stuff. And one of the documentaries that we were talking about before the show Mm -hmm. um, was Forbidden. And this looks at the life of a gay man in the rural South who was an undocumented uh, man and and come and arrived as a child. And... uh, there are a lot of films that are looking mm-hmm. at this intersection of sort of being being marginalized, being marginalized mm-hmm. in a few ways, not just being gay or lesbian, right. but, you know, different nationalities, the sort of the uh, just marginalization and the intersectionality of that. And I sort of feel like that film, which is which is a wonderful, powerful film, could not be better timed right now because, mm-hmm. you know, because I of think Trump. 
Trump and Orlando and everything, it really brought up these ideas that we're not just one community. We are an overlapping, you know, group of people with, and none of these experiences can be divided easily. And I highly recommend these documentaries. Like this year, even the documentaries and the feature films, the narratives, but it's unbelievably diverse this year. And I've learned from past years, it's like, go see a movie about something you don't know anything about. I mean, a couple years ago, There's I saw that amazing, oh yeah, I mean, thing to, like to being, do. you know, an illegal immigrant in rural America, you know, yeah. go see that. Or about, you know, that woman, Major, you know, about a trans African-American activist, you know, get, try to go see something as far away from your own world as possible, because I promise you, mind blown. One of the things that's great about the Outfest.org website is you can actually search by country. And you oh, see really? how, yeah. So you can just say, yeah, I want to see, you know, I heard there was an Italian film this year and you can do Italy, but there are films. Yeah, and some of these foreign films are amazing. There's but a I, Pakistan, a film from Pakistan. Yeah. And one from Israel. Yeah. 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 They did a great job with diversity. And I promise you, like what most people do is they pick one or two narrative features where the boys are cute and they go and that's it. And I'm like, don't do that, man. Don't mm-hmm. do that. Like spread your wings. Go see a doc. I mean, I was screening these films the whole past week and some of these movies moved me so tremendously. Like seriously moved me. And I've been at Outfest when I see these docs or these interesting little foreign films and we as an audience leave and we're practically hugging each other and we go into a reception outfest is very good at creating social environments after these screenings so you can go have a drink or a bite to eat or a soda and you actually talk to strangers you actually connect with your community over what did you think of this alice walker documentary and i didn't know that and oh it's so fantastic and that's what brings our community together that's the great thing about film you know, but be challenged because if you go see one of these sort of fun movies with cute naked guys or whatever, you're not going to talk. You're going to go. You're going to have a good time. You're going to forget about it. Now, you're so going to go in the back. So if he is a lesbian, that would be me going outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. I'll just see a film about naked men. But they're French. <laughs> well, they also. So you know hard. what? I really, you know, that one, I'm not, I'm not giving away the twist with the Teo and Hugo. First of all, that'll sell out because it's got the 18-minute orgy scene right. at the beginning. So every boy is going to go see that. But, like, it's about other things. It's like Weekend. You know how they slip politics into Weekend. Mm-hmm. But Teo and Hugo has a has a plot. And it, will, it completely engrossed me. And I think it'll make people talk as well what goes on in that movie. And that's what I like is, like, when your mind's blown, when, you you know, it's three days later and you're like, man, where something hits you in the heart. You know, so try to go to those movies. I mean, again, the Ford, bring a picnic, bring, you know, 10 of your friends, go see a movie under the sun. That's a good time. But, you know, you can go to the DGA on a weeknight. You know, they have the atriums open for receptions. You can meet the most fascinating people. I generally go in the back and... Within a couple of days, I meet all the, the journalists and the visiting programmers from foreign countries. And we sit around and we talk film. We talk gay rights. We have the most, well, you know, if you're into conversation. And if you go to which the website. I, um, oh, yes. Yeah. As if you go onto the website, also make sure to click events because they're like the films are the parties. one thing. But that's panels? got the list of, yeah, yeah the panels and the, uh, yeah, the Q&As and, and the receptions and all that stuff. Yeah, you were so, so selling me on this reception thing. Well, I they have them everywhere. You yeah. guys are into wine, I think. Really well, they am. have soda pop, too. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and they have the same people working the bar that yeah. worked at the bar in 2000, man. It's like, you know, it's just nice. Because in the old days, I used to go to Outfest and, I, you know, I've been working in, in film for 30 years. And I'd run into everyone I ever worked with. And we weren't always out. at the Like you said, in 84, we weren't always out. So it's nice. And this, the last couple years, I go to the DGA and people brought their kids. You know, oh you can't always bring your kids to Pride because there's some nudity no. going on. 
going on and some sexuality going on, you know. And Outfest, you can, you know, last year I saw two of my friends' little toddlers playing together. And the year before I saw, you know, my friends have little five or six-year-olds and they were running around the atrium like... You know, it's it's a family affair. And the yeah. films reflect that because, like, one there of the films will be talking yes. uh, Hunky Dory is all yeah. about a father's relationship with his son. And I don't know that we saw that so, you know, 20, no. 30 years ago. Did you notice any other trends in the films you saw? Just that I, that intersectionality, definitely. But, yeah, aging and identity, you know, and, yeah. and identity beyond the LGBT identity sort of grappling with Mm -hmm. with further identity you know yeah there's two lgbt filmmakers uh Stu maddox and pj Ravel, that have kind of addressed aging in the lgbt community but when i was more of an activist what i was taught by people working in the field is like these are the people that fought for our rights uh none of them are retiring with any money with any 401k i mean major and uh the other documentary i think there's another one too but uh last man standing i mean it sort of shows this like our seniors who were activists in the 60s and 70s now are having to go back in the closet when they're going into homes. They're also financially strapped because it's not like they ever had conventional jobs. So actually everything we owe thing, you know, we have a large community of people that we owe that we owe a lot to really. And now they're sort of aging up and they're not necessarily set. I mean, the saddest thing in the world to me that I've learned from, like I said, these other people that are more active in this, is that now these people have to go back in the closet. And you know? we will be back in two minutes. We've we- got so much more to talk about. I know. About. <laughs> we, will, we, we will have Zoe Luna and Ophelia Barba from the uh, documentary Raising Zoe and more quality time with JD. So we will be right back after this. Rope, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. In the 1940s and 50s, depictions of homosexuality were disallowed on the silver screen, and censors were even on the lookout for hidden subtext. In the Alfred Hitchcock film Rope, Farley Granger and John Dahl played homosexual lovers who murder a former prep school classmate on a whim. The homosexual subtext served as the tension underlying the drama. As the film's screenwriter Arthur Lawrence put it, quote, There wasn't a word of dialogue that said the two men were lovers or homosexuals, but there wasn't a scene between them where it wasn't clearly implied. While this theme got by the censors, they did disallow a few phrases in the script, like, my dear boy, calling them homosexual dialogue. Before the filming of Rope, Granger met Lawrence at a party. They ended up living together for four years, but double dated with actresses to appease the studio bosses. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns, and recorded in the studios at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, John DeBoer. I'm Judith Light. My experience of Outfest is that it's probably one of the most important things that the gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgendered people in Los Angeles can participate in. There is really something for everyone. What it does is it expands people's horizons about gays and lesbians and what that life is really about. It makes available information for people. It expands people's horizons. Um, It tells us about new filmmakers, the kinds of artists that are coming up and that are creating. And it's not just that they're gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgendered. It really is about another part of life. And to me, that's a very important aspect of it because a lot of people have not been exposed before. And they're not just 
select films on the side, on the outskirts, they are part of mainstream. And that's how the community is fitting itself into the world and uh, in an artistic way. And I think that's spectacular and I want to see everything. Hello, I'm David Morton, director of Edge of 17, and you're listening to a very special Outfest preview on KPFK 90.7 FM, Los Angeles. One of the great films that we are looking forward to seeing this festival is called Raising Zoe, which is directed by Dante Alencastre, who has done a number of wonderful documentaries looking at trans experiences. Um, But allow me to interrupt, please, because I'm supposed to give the time right now. It's 7.33. (laughs) There you go. It's 7.33. I was too excited by our guests. And so the subjects of those films are uh, Zoe Luna, who at 13 years old, challenged her school for the right to simply be herself. And in 2014, with the help of the ACLU, she won her case and opened the door for other trans kids to also be themselves. And we're also here with Zoe's mom, Ophelia. Um, Ophelia Barga? Barba. Barba, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Who has been her daughter's fierce ally throughout. And um, your sister has also been a huge supporter. And your grandmother is here waiting for the show to finish. Um, (laughs) Welcome, Ophelia and Zoe. I'm really excited to talk to you this evening. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So... None of us has seen the film. We've seen little bits and pieces. I was surprised you hadn't seen the film. No, no he won't so let me see you. it. <laughs> but we've all seen the trailer, and it's a fine one. Yes. Oh, yes. yeah. That's all we've seen. <laughs> it looks absolutely fantastic. Your story is amazing. How did you—I want to get to your personal story, but I'm curious how you connected with the director. How did this film come about? Well, I think I'll start. <laughs> she always um, starts. Well, we met him at Bambi Salcedo's uh, film. And um, I actually... Transvisible was yeah. a film that he did. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually was there waiting for the like all of us to go into the theater. And he was taking his last pictures. And he was like, hi, hi, sweetie. Can you take this for me? I was like, oh, okay. And like not knowing I was going to end up working with him. So that's actually how we met. And it was kind of awkward. But we ended up having such a good relationship we just had such a good click we actually have the same birthday so they share the same yeah. birthday wow. july 23rd <laughs> so. wait july 23rd so you're cancers i'm a leo you're right on the line okay all yes, right leo. I'm you've got a leo. yes that could that definitely seems very leo to take on an entire school <laughs> yeah yes <clears throat> So you guys just really, you clicked? Yeah, definitely. I feel like me and him clicked first, and then it took my mom some time. Because, like, Leos get, you know, we're Leos. (laughs) Ophelia, were you concerned about a a filmmaker coming into your life because your daughter was still young? Absolutely. Um, It was nothing that we planned. Mm -hmm. And and that's how it happened with Dante. We were at, we... We went to a couple of screenings at the Hollywood, uh, West Hollywood City Council, uh, you know, where they have the movies. And we were just sitting there talking to him. And he said, you know, I think it would be really great if we did a story about you. Um, it's not very often that we see a Latin family um, supporting their their children, you know, in this journey. And I said, oh, sure, that that'll be cool. And that was it. And little did I know that we were going to start filming, and we've been filming for what, for the last two years. We've still been filming. We're still filming. <laughs> well, how old but are you now? I'm 
14. I'm 14. <laughs> she had to think I about that. I can't remember. 14 going on 30. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no, she's, so, she's 14 and we started when you just barely turned. We started right before I turned 13. 13. Yeah. So you were actually 12 when yes. you took this on this case on. And some the little bit that we saw in the that we the filmmaker shared with us today was like that by itself was just so moving about um, just really you wanted to be yourself. Mm-hmm. That was all you were asking. And it seemed at 12 it. you were so clear that there was something wrong that you weren't allowed to be yourself. Yeah. But yes. so let me sort of go to... Had you been out to your family prior to this? And take us back in time just a little bit. Well, I've been aware of myself since earliest memories. And I didn't really have to say, hey, I think there's something wrong. I don't feel like I identify in a boy's body. I'm confused. It was just open because, you know, assumptions are made because I would always gravitate towards girl clothes, dolls, dresses, everything girl. And... Um, they just kind of assume for themselves. So when I was about three or five, I told my mom that I was like, hey, I don't feel like I'm a boy. Like, what's going to happen? Like, I said specifically because I knew she, at the time they were a very religious family. So I was like, <laughs> hey, um, do you think God made a mistake when he was passing out the bodies? And like, do you think that my soul was like thrown into a boy's body? Like, do you think that's a possibility? If you guys How are... old were you when you asked that question? I was. I can't um, imagine formulating that question. Well, young. Uh, the I was good thing five about the thing about Zoe is that she's always been very articulate since little, mm-hmm. and so it wasn't really that we were religious because we're not very religious anymore. <laughs> no, we weren't very religious, but it just it was a notion that she had for what she knew was sort of spiritual in some sense that there was something that didn't align, something mm. happened in between. So that was one of her questions, but there was it wasn't even assumptions on our part. It was more of watching her grow up and seeing how she progressed as a little kid and just the cues and the the affirmations that she would give about herself. Those are the things that changed it, that basically you understood that there was a different journey for her. So, Did you have any idea of that this sort of thing existed? Well, of course I did, um, and, and it was vague, not very – I wasn't very knowledgeable. I knew what every teenage – I'll say teenager because that's when I first experienced or met people that were transgender. Back then, that wasn't the word. Of course, it was called transsexual. There were other names amongst the kids they would call that. But I did get to meet one, as a teenager, a friend that was a transgender woman. Um, And so I had some knowledge. And there was a couple of, you know, uh, Phil Donahue had a show once. And a lot of people I might remember that. that. I watched that. So, because I would get to watch these shows and, and just maybe, I don't know, I can say the universe was aligning me for this <laughs> without knowing that this was going to happen. But I had known about things like this, but I never thought that this was it. Um, uh, I thought, oh, well, maybe my child's going to be gay. So I was like, okay. So it was not something that I was worried about. 
What was it about Zoe's certainty? Because, I mean, it sounds like Zoe was so clear at a very young age, and yet I know as a young child, if an adult had tried to talk me out of it, I probably would have let them. Because it's like um, I was I think not very was, strong. It, I think there's a thing that I've learned along the way in my life is a certain kind of respect for everybody and just being open about listening to other people's thoughts. Of course, <clears throat> I'm not going to say I was like, Ooh, I was like all in it, right? Of course not. There was concern because along with it, you have concern. There's fear. You know what the community is like. You know what society is like. People don't like things that are different. People don't like people that are different. And so it was concerning. But I also knew that <clears throat> this child was consistent. Um, there was never-ending change on her verbalizing what it was that she wanted to express to me, and there were those cues. Um, she she didn't feel the gender she was. Mm -hmm. She, as a matter of fact, didn't even understand that there was a difference between genders and bodies. Yeah. So it makes it, there's a lot of things in there. It wasn't easy to to you know move forward because first I didn't have the resources. I didn't know how to do that, and there was a lot of obstacles. Like my father. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Let's discuss. <laughs> so my father was a very uh, typical macho man. He was a construction worker, and he always tried to make me as a man as I could be. It, that was what his saying was. His um, his saying and my, my brother's saying was always like, let's make Zoe be more manly. And I was like, what? I was like, why me? So my father wasn't... Not that he wasn't accepting of it. He just wasn't aware of how to cope with my with me being who I was because he had this preconceived idea of who I was. Well, so. And you have a very straight, butch brother, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So my brother, I think, tends to look up more to my father than my mom, which always makes me confused because my mom is like the coolest person in the world well, to me. Well, I disagree because although <laughs> she says that, he does look up to me. In, in, my, in different ways. In different ways. Yeah. He knows that women are strong. And that women oh, are capable. Oh, he knows women are strong. <laughs> <laughs> you should so see the look I just got. Like, oh yeah. Yeah, no. So he's very aware, and he he's a he's a he's a good kid. Yeah, he's a great kid. Yeah. Um, but my father and my brother were a little bit not accepting of it. My my brother was just tending to do whatever my dad saw was good. So my father just didn't know how to accept it, and he wasn't really cool with it if that makes sense he threw away my mom's shoes and he did a lot of stuff that i guess you'll have to wait to find out in the documentary so <laughs> the, the high heels because yes. he didn't want you like wearing, mess wearing your mom's high heels yeah, yeah anything so. that was at the least bit feminine was out of the house so i what happened with dad maybe he he understood there was something going on but he didn't know the magnitude of Everything. where we were yeah. So I I don't I don't think he'll he would ever get to he understand it. Well, he passed already. Thankfully. <laughs> no, not nice. Sorry. <laughs> Scratch that. I'm a little rude sometimes. <laughs> Sorry. How did you? If your father was sort of forbidding you to have feminine interests like toys and clothing, how did you sneak it in? How did you fit it in? How did you? Were you able to like oh. lock your bedroom door and I, have I a have secret no. doll or something? She had an ally. I had I had my mom. <laughs> I had we, my mom. We uh, we it never. It was like a secret between us, and but I would cry. It wasn't cry. really a secret because um, everyone it was, knew about it. Yeah, everyone. So it knew. was like we were gonna do it no matter yeah. what. Yeah, 
And nobody could really stop me from playing with dolls because at the end of the day, I would have cried and screamed and well, ran around the, the house. Well, at the end of the day, mom would have said, you can't say yeah. anything anyway. Because yeah. so. I'm her child. She's the one who gave birth to me, not him. <laughs> so. Well, now, did, did you find... Uh, maybe a tiny bit. Yeah. A, a tad. It must have been rough. When, when he was like, throwing your shoes away and stuff like that, did you feel that he was sort of crushing your image of yourself as a woman? She definitely just, was. Just to, no, he's asking me if uh, I felt uh, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, just to step, like, all the females in the house? or, or? No, it's, well, we already, I mean, he, see, it's kind of hard. He's not here anymore, so he can't defend himself. But I'll just say that maybe he just thought that that's the way things were supposed yeah. to be. He didn't know any other lifestyle. He didn't know anything. He was conditioned a certain way. Yeah. So he was just behaving as such as who he was. Right. We can't really yeah. blame him for it. No. that's the way he was. He just didn't reason. understand that. And he yeah. passed away? He yeah. did in 2011. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've just, I've met a lot of people whose parents were like that at first. And over the course of 10 or 20 years, they do often come around, yeah. just so you know. Oh, yeah. It's like, I know you didn't get to realize that with your father, but you never know, you know. But it is hard for men. Yeah. I, I think it, it would have been really hard for us to move forward, but we would have moved forward no matter what. Yeah. I probably yeah. wouldn't have been Zoe today. I probably no. Wouldn't. I doubt that. I think I would have done more than I could have to get that. Well, yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. You know, I mean, gosh, family is complicated, and Very. so it sounds like. Um, and I do understand. I have not not the same story, but I think we all have this experience with a more difficult parent coming to acceptance. That is such a universal story. Um, but it sounds to me like, by and large, your fam- you were in a loving, strong family that came together and which is so wonderful but that at some point you and this is I think what the film deals with is you realized that the community beyond your family or your immediate support system was not so supportive and was not I mean was cruel yeah and I'm wondering when that began or when you started kind of realizing that this was not going to be easy for the rest of the world well I started noticing that it wasn't going to be easy right as I went into preschool because that's actually how this whole story came about, I think. That's because, where everything started. Yeah, because there was this one lady. She ended up following me to elementary school just She's out of coincidence. So she was a, an aide. And I, I, I think, uh, whatever, not about her. Um, So she was upset because at dress-up time, I would always tend to be the princess or the secret detective woman, or I would be anything that was the woman, not the man. I wouldn't be the firefighter, and she was always upset with that, and it was just like, let me do me, and so she actually contacted, like, the supervisors of that, and they all, like, told my mom, they were like, I think you need, I think she needs to go to counseling, because this is a little... Off. It, off, mm-hmm. yeah. So she wasn't comfortable with Zoe's behavior, and we we never... Uh, told her she couldn't do that. So yeah. at home, she can be who she wanted to. She ran around with her hoodie jacket as her hair, towels, everything, and, and she played with my shoes. And So there wasn't any stopping, like, oh, you can't do that. You're not supposed to do that. Um, of course, there was moments of don't because dad might get upset yeah. or it's causing problems. But this aide, at, at the end of the day, was not comfortable with it. So she needed something to happen and she suggested to the director that they speak to me the director spoke to me and said you need to go to counseling and i said okay let's do that because she actually I thought, thought it was going to help I, and it no, did well i needed it i needed it because i needed to get everybody on board at home 
they were going to give me free counseling and we were going to be able to settle this situation. I said, let's do it. And it was wonderful because not only did that counselor have knowledge about the LGBTQ community, um, gave me information, um, helped me work with my oldest daughter, my son, and dad wouldn't get involved. But you know what? The most important part of the family was involved. And so I went home at the end of all this. It was half a year of therapy. I went home like, okay, I know where we're at. Then we had to figure out moving forward. It took years, but we got there. And I just want to say brother is is really good at this now. He's he's actually one of the helpers when we... How old is he? He's 20. When Zoe transitioned, he was one of the... Oh, he was the first one. He said, oh, just... Because she wanted to gradually... I was still scared. She didn't. She was. She was like, maybe wear the girl pants like the first couple of weeks of school, but like don't wear the shirt or like the hair accessories. And I was like, mom. And then my brother was just like, I don't know what he was intending, but he helped a lot because he was like, why don't you just let her do it now? She obviously wants to do it now. Like, why? Why are you gonna stop her? And then she was like. Well, I mean, if he sees it this way, maybe it's the truth. And I was like, yeah, it's the well, truth. It took a lot, I love it, this family. It was, a, it was a family affair, naming, the transition, the shopping, and the moving forward in school. It was just a family affair. Yeah. We had table meetings. So, <laughs> well, we, we really did. Something that intrigued me was when you uh, said in the trailer that we saw um, that you love being in the public eye. And when I remember being your age, the fact that there was anything slightly different about me made me want to hide away and I became very, very, very shy. Mm-hmm. And what what is it that makes you so comfortable? I mean, you're so natural. This is the most so... poised, yeah. non-14-year-old, and I mean that in only good ways. Yeah. You are cameras. such a poised young woman. <laughs> you know, So I see a future in front of the camera, I'm Thank just saying. <laughs> or the microphone. Yeah, what yeah. do you account for? How do you account for that? Um, well, I specifically think it was my confidence and my me was because of my mom if I didn't have her support I knew I wasn't gonna get anywhere in my life and I was like I don't care if I have friends or I didn't even have friends at the time so it wasn't even mattering to me if I had friends that supported me or adults that supported me all I needed was my mom because she was always there for me so if she wasn't supporting of me I wasn't gonna be supporting of myself and I was just gonna be like oh well well now I have nothing left to live for so definitely it was due to her I always had a thing for cameras. I grew up on Disney Channel. I was always like Hannah Montana, Sunny with the Chance, all of them. So I specifically was like, that's what I'm going to be in the future. And so just having her support let me know that I could be who I wanted to be. So I was like, It's that yeah. safety net that yeah. you get. In, you know, you know you can do something because you know there's always someone there to say, yeah, you can do it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what helps her. And and, and she loves all this artistic stuff so <laughs> and you stayed in the same school through the whole transition yes, yes. so now how, how were the other students so the other students were at the beginning when I first transitioned they were they were fine they were way better than compared to the teachers and the staff at that school so it wasn't really a hard time with them a couple of them were like ew you're gonna go to hell and I was like okay well see you there too but then <laughs> um, so I just really got over the kid problem because I was just fighting to stay in the same class I was in and the same school with the teachers and the administrators so it wasn't really a concern with the students so this brings us to the lawsuit mm-hmm. so what prompted the lawsuit so let's just clarify there sure. was in a lawsuit 
There was, um, ah, when okay. I contacted the ACLU, they told me uh, this is the process that we suggest you do, which was file a complaint with the United States Department of Education. And what Civil was the rights. complaint about? What were you asking um, for? Discrimination. Uh, first of all, they wanted to expel her from school for for out, coming out, um, expel her from school for saying who she was and how she felt about herself. Um, everything was inappropriate that she talked about. Um, they went as far as to say, we can move you to a different district where nobody will know. And we that. didn't have the money to travel. And like, and no, it wasn't even this, was, this was L.A., by the way. No, down, 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 yeah, district. L.A. County. No, you know? actually, it's not. It's it its is? own district. Yeah, oh, it is. Oh. They, so they have their own rules. It was, it was, I was given an ultimatum. Mm-hmm. You, through the uh, fall break, Thanksgiving break, Either you find somewhere to go, you let us help you, or if she gets in trouble one more time, we're going to ex- expel her. And getting in trouble meaning showing up as a no, girl? It getting was, in trouble was defending herself. Yeah, so. I was always being, I, every time I would go to the office to tell them that I was being bullied by someone, they would always talk to, they would have meetings with the bully and they would be like, how are we going to make this look like she did it to get herself into that we, position? We never heard that, but that's yeah, how that it was felt. That, that's what it looked like a lot yeah. of the time. And there was a particular teacher you had an issue oh, with. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Well, she, uh, he isn't there always one? Her. Both well, of them. But, well, let's just... She ended up tormenting me after he tormented me, too. Yeah. So the first one, which is why the letter to the school, why I asked for a meeting, and why we all this started was because um, on one occasion, he made her stand up in the middle of the class and say recite a pledge that she would not be... What was that word? That uh, I wouldn't be obnoxiously obnox- loud. Ob- obnoxiously loud. When I laughed just as regularly as every other student in the classroom, he just had a thing for me. And then she wore feathers in her hair, clip-on feathers. I mean, she was starting to express. And um, he told her, oh, I know what. I know what boy you are, brother. Yeah. Mm. That's what he said. It was like, don't and talk then to me like that. <laughs> the third one was where she came home and she said, I can't handle this anymore. I have to literally keep my head down in class. Yeah. And just cover my face because if not, he'll pick on me. And all the other kids will laugh at me. And so my last straw was, well, I mean, I was already building up to it. I was really upset. And this all happened in a span of about two weeks. He said, um, smile, brother, you look disgusting. Because I had mascara this run all over teacher. my face. Yes, this is yeah. a teacher. How did you survive this? Um, well, I had my mom, so. Oh, when yeah. I went to the school, I, I actually... Wrote, wrote the an most e- beautiful emails I've ever seen in my life. Email. I asked him why. Hmm. I said, if you're a teacher, why would you do this? Why did you not call me? Did you get an answer? No. Never. They say they sent he, that he sent me an apology. But it got lost never. in the email type thing. <laughs> I never got it. But we went in. We had a meeting. He never uh, apologized. Um, the harassment continued. And by that time, I went on a on an email campaign to everybody and anybody who had LGBTQ in their name. And transgender. And, well, LGBTQ. We, we, well, yep. well, I found out later yeah, what that meant. So it was it was a learning process. And I just got to say, it's been an incredible journey. It's been challenging, difficult, and hard, but at the same time, pretty perfect. Pretty it perfect because like we've learned a lot. Have you been afraid for Zoe's safety? All the time. 
Because that that's what I wonder. You know, uh, I have me. a I have a um, transgender a cousin who is a little bit younger than you, and this was the, that's the conversation I had with his mom over and over was, um, you know, but if he expresses himself, he's at risk, and Absolutely. you know, and but then the conversation is, but he's at risk if he doesn't express himself, you know, and that was sort of back and forth. Where does your cousin live? I, I just, because I don't know how out he is, I will oh, okay. yeah. not say. No, absolutely. Yeah. Am I afraid? Always, 100%. There is not one day that I'm not concerned. Am I worried that she can get hurt? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because she's young. She's very impressionable, even though she's very smart. And no, she's very mature for her age. That's also pretty scary. Yeah. But the whole thing, the, the, the fear is always going to be there. But if I don't let her present, if I go against it, and I want to hide her away, who am I hurting the most? So I can't do that. I can't do that. I committed myself to being visible and and being her advocate and her ally 100%. And there are days, and I'm not going to lie, there are days when I'm like, I can't do this no more. But she can't be such a big open advocate. Yeah, and I get scared, and I'm when I see the, the murder rate, when I see the beatings, when I see... All these women dying, um, suicide. Uh, the children, they're 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 dying, yeah, because of all these things, the laws, the the everything that's coming up. Presidential campaign. Yeah, oh, all yes. this year has been horrible. This year yeah. has been for a strain yes. on us. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if other really ha- personally, personally, yes, that. absolutely. Don't I fit every single thing that mm-hmm. nobody likes right now? <laughs> Yeah, that's so, a powerful statement. It is because you know I look at this family, and this is like a American family mm-hmm. that's you know that we want is yeah. you know the fabric of our country. But we're not considered that. Yeah. We're not considered. I'm a single parent. I have three children that I've been raising alone. I have a child with mental illness. I have Zoe who is transgender. Um, I work alone. I I live in a small community that is not very open. Is kind of open. Um, There's it, nothing really wrong with Letty. <laughs> the, the only, she's, she's a good kid. But, you know, this is, I'm the epitome of what these people yeah. talk about mm-hmm. that's wrong. Oh, there's no father at home. Father didn't accept it. But they don't understand that none of this, her life, our life has anything to do with those circumstances. Yeah. These are, these. this is who we are. This is how our family is. And this is all we can do is just move forward. Yeah. And do you think when Zoe grows up and moves away from home that you'll I'm continue? I'm going to die. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Don't say that. No, no. It, just it will happen. No, you know, I mean, are you going to – do you think you'll continue to advocate for Absolutely. transgender she children? To. She has to. I have she to. Because you become to. so good at it. No, no. I uh, if, if that's the case, then yes, absolutely, I will continue because – this battle is not going to be over until all transgender women of color and trans men and every have type of every rainbow op- person ever absolutely is accepted. have the same opportunity that anybody else has. Yeah. Well, so even though we haven't any of us seen the complete documentary, oh, what excited. what do you want people to to take away from it, to go home with, to remember? That we're definitely a normal family, just like every other family. And by normal, we're dysfunctional, we're crazy, we're loud, we're different. But that's every family in America at the well, moment. Yeah, really. Yeah, and so. we're super flawed. We're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And in hopefully, this world. no one will take away that we're angels with wings. We're oh, not. Oh, God, no. We, are, <laughs> we get at each other's throats. Yeah. 
Okay, so are you looking forward to the premiere? It's going to be like a red carpet there? thing? Yes, yes we course. are. I was going to, I was just want to make sure. Yes. You know. So well, who are you wearing? I'm kind of. <laughs> I, um, Chanel. No, Chanel. <laughs> <laughs> just no we're, we're really excited. I'm nervous. I mean, it's a big deal putting your life in front of other people. Even oh, if very. It's a snippet of it. Yeah. And, though, and at the same time, I think we're so visible that we, we share most of everything with our friends and the community. I feel like. Everybody knows this, so they're not going to go see it, but hopefully they do. So I feel like you guys are really at the beginning of something. You know, so often when people come in here, it's sort of at the end of a story, but I have such a feeling that you are at the beginning of a really interesting journey. Hopefully. I, my, my hopes and desires are that she gets to where she wants to be. I want to be a director. <laughs> okay, I'm not too worried about that. <laughs> um, yeah. So the film, for folks who are interested in the film, it is Sunday, uh, the first Sunday, um, this coming Sunday at 3 p.m. at the Red Cat. But for info, again, for this is an Outfest film, um, and the film is Raising Zoe. Go to outfest.org and check it out. And I really... Um, I don't want to lose touch with you. I would. We would love to have you back to talk about any aspect of the story or what you do next, both of you. Um, just very inspiring, and I think that this story um, will mean a lot to our listeners. Facebook friend us. We're really easy. And Facebook easy. friend us. Sure. <laughs> and like us. I already <laughs> listen to this uh, radio station every morning. She has oh, a favorite. You do? I, I have a, I'm a fan of Amy Goodman. Oh, yeah. I oh. just wanted to say that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the shout out. Yes. And so thank you, Zoe Luna and Ophelia Barba. Uh, you are um, so glad that you came in tonight. And hopefully we will actually see you at Outfest. Yes, of course. Thank you. Thank you so much for having, having us. us. I do want to see who you're wearing. Oh, I, <laughs> Chanel. <laughs> we got to see that. So still to come, we've got the star and co-writer of the uh, feature Hunky Dory, also at Outfest, and the director and writer of Lazy Eye, Tim Kirkman. And, and more Outfest logistics with J.D. DeSalvatore. And we will be right back. We're not done. America the Beautiful, widely considered the other national anthem. Coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. The lyrics were written by poet Catherine Lee Bates, a Wellesley College professor who lived for 25 years with her beloved Catherine Coleman, a fellow professor there. Bates's poem was inspired by an 1893 trip to the top of Pikes Peak, where she marveled at the majestic view. Years later, Bates cared for Coleman after breast cancer surgery. Upon Coleman's death at 57, Bates expressed her grief by writing a collection of poems for the woman she had nicknamed Joy of Life. Titled Yellow Clovers, a Book of Remembrance, it took its name from the little flowers each had pressed into the letters they wrote to each other when apart. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Brenda Thornton. Hi, this is Sam Harris, singer, actor, author, husband, dad. I'm so many things, I'm about to explode. Listen to IMRU Radio Magazine every Monday night from 7 to 8 p.m. on KPFK, 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 93.7 San Diego, 99.5 Ridgecrest China Lake, or streaming online at kpfk.org.
Hello, my name is Kirby Washington. I call the Atwater Village part of town my home, and I'm 58 years old. I've been listening to KPFK since sometime in the 80s. I can't remember when. I know I was driving down Pico Boulevard all the way to the ocean one night for some meeting, and I was flipping around the dial, and I heard this amazing, amazing program. The content and the context were so deep and about real human issues. You never hear that on NPR. You know, they've got a little thin envelope of what they talk about, and it's not going to solve any problems over there. But what I heard on KPFK got me excited. You know what? It's the only place where you can hear the issues that count for people who have traditionally been discriminated against. So African-Americans, Latinos, people in the LGBT community. There's a disability show on the station, and I happen to need the information from that. And it comes from real people who really research the issues, and uh, they know what they're talking about, and they're sharing that to the city. It's the only place in town for that. And I give to KPFK during the fun drive because it's the smartest game in town. Got to support it. This is Pacifica Radio's KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 FM Santa Barbara. Remember, you can always become a member online at kpfk.org under support kpfk slash pledge now. Welcome back, and you are listening to IMRU Radio. I'm Abby Dees. And I'm Wenzel Jones. Now, you may have noticed that that was Sam Harris, friend of IMRU, doing the station ID. And he is also performing his show, Ham, a musical memoir, at the Pasadena Playhouse. Now, you may have caught him when he did it at the Renberg. You may have caught him here on the show when he was pushing the book, Ham. And it's all about all things Sam. Well, we Ham, have... Ham, all things Sam? Ham, all things Sam. We have five, count them, five pairs of tickets to give away. And he's only doing three performances. And the choices you have are Saturday, July 9th at 2 p.m. or Sunday, July 10th at 2 p.m. But how do we get this? How do you get them? Why, you sing with your heart or you pick up the phone and call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. And that's for tickets to Ham, a musical memoir, a celebration of Sam Harris, whom we have loved for, at this point, decades. And very unusually, the time is now 8, oh, well, the clock says 8.06, but I think it might be 8.05 and 30 seconds myself. The clocks around here are pretty dodgy. <laughs> but we are in our very rare second hour of IMRU doing our Outfest special. And J.D. DeSalvatore, who is our Outfest expert and cheat sheet provider, is still with us. Yes. But a new je- guest has joined us as well. Maybe the tallest man in the world. Uh, <laughs> maybe not. I have, I have, there are two of us, by the way. There are. Now, we have the star and co-writer of Hunky Dory, Thomas Pais, and joining us, because she's in the movie, too, our very own Miss Barbecue. Hi, everybody. Yay. <laughs> and we are going to play Six Degrees of Outfest and Miss Barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> because she is apparently in every movie. She is. <laughs> or knows somebody who's in, in it. In one way or another. <laughs> in one way or another. Or another. Yeah. <laughs> but we love them all. The movie Hunky Dory. Yes. Going to be uh, July, 9th July 9th at, at the Director's Guild at 9, 9 p.m. directed by Michael Curtis Johnson. Yes. You co-wrote this with I, the director. I was a, a co-writer. And happy co-writer. the star? To, uh, I Yeah, I play a small part in it. Yeah, a small part. <laughs> in every single scene. In every scene, yeah. 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 <laughs> so your character is Sydney, also known as the, the drag queen Hunky Dory. Correct. 
And yes. I was, I was, I thought I was telling you some sort of delicate news that Hunky Dory isn't maybe the best drag queen maybe not in the, the best. world, but you seem to already know that. Well, tell us a little about about Sydney uh, and Hunky Dory. Let me. I will tell you a little bit about Sydney. Sydney he was uh, he was he had aspirations to be a rock star. He wanted to be a you know a glam rocker, and uh, he just he didn't quite have enough. What was it? Discipline or drive or you know, focus to, to, to make it. Maybe he just wasn't that talented. And he was one of those people that just was kind of a, you know, jack of all trades. You know, he did a lot of things well enough to get by, but not quite well enough to be a master at anything. I saw him described as a, you may have said as a glam rock dilettante. That is, that was a word that I think <laughs> Mike and I came, to get, came yes. up with together, a term for glam rock dilettante. Dilettante, I think, is the operative word here <laughs> in this term. Um, I, so I think the drag thing for him was... Um, was a means to an end. It was something that for him, it was like it was a, a type of performance. For him, it was like, it was a stage. It was an audience, and and you know he sort of uh, Sydney lives in this duality, like of of acceptance and hatred, and 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 part of it was also I think he looked down on it. I think that, you know in, in the film he he talks down of of you know it being a performance art. But then at the same time, you can see when he's up there, he doesn't. He's enjoying himself. He he loves the idea of being in front of people. He's and, very and real, actually. Yeah, and and so that's that's where it comes from. And so we did. We we consciously decided not to have him be a great drag queen. And and you know that's you know because and we had real drag queens there to sort of show us what it was like. These are real drag queens. And then suddenly we 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 you know we turned to Sydney. And we're like, oh, he's sort of this amalgamation of glam rock and gla- and 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 drag and. Not one or the other, but sort of like somewhere in between. So thrown into his life is his young son. Correct. Who is sort of dropped on his doorstep. Exactly. So he's kind of the every other weekend dad, right? He gets to be the cool dad that gets to see his kid every other weekend be like, hey, I'm a rock star. I'm playing all these big shows, even though, again, he's a bit of a dilettante. Uh, and then one day the, the, his ex drops the kid off and he's forced to be full-time dad. And that's sort of where we pick up the story. And things start to get a little bit more and more intense from there, and his his life starts to unravel a little bit. Well, I just want to say that personally, I found this movie so involving because it started off, and the, the almost the second person I see is like, "Oh, there's barbecue," and then in the next scene, "Oh, it's Peter Van Norden," and then, "Oh, look, it's Chad Borden." It's like these yeah. are all people I know, and they're all in your movie. So we have a little clip actually of all of Wenzel's friends. <laughs> <laughs> let's hear it alright let's do it Ian Curtis Dennis Joplin Mark Pullen they were all dead by the time they were my age they didn't even make it that far you know what I mean I need a break <sighs> give me a break Justin I'm not doing it as well as you think I'm doing I'm, Kelly pays for all this Get back in the game. Oh. Let's go make a record. No, I gave all that up. I don't want to rock and roll anymore. It's the most depressing thing I've ever heard. It's just growing up. Growing up isn't so bad. Hey, come on, don't smoke that in here. Come on, don't. I am an artist. You're an artist? Yes. You know, artists create. They don't destroy everything that they touch. Baby destruction is the only form of art. Definitely not a poet. <laughs> Go on some of this. Yeah, all right. 
And because this is radio, you can't fully appreciate the fact that this speech is delivered by a six foot five man wearing shiny clothes, lip gloss, and lots of eyeliner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things that you can't appreciate about a scene without actually watching it. <laughs> Just listening to it, you're like, what? Well, I don't get it. Really? I wonder what happened. That, that, there. That's actually the voice of uh, uh, Chad Hardigan, who's a fantastic director. Mm-hmm. He's got, he's been, well, he's a great friend as well. Yeah. What made you interested in telling this story? Well, uh, the thing that – so I wrote this as a short film initially, and I brought it to uh, Mike, the director. And the thing that um, was sort of at, at the core that I really wanted to tell was the story of a father and a son. Mm-hmm. And, and it, you know, the story of empathy and the story of, like, a, a father having to sort of accept certain things about himself and come to terms with certain things about himself and letting go of certain things about himself in order to be the person he needed to be for his son. Um, and I th- and wanted to make it a contemporary story. I wanted to make it something that was timely. And once we started sort of diving into this character and trying to have him be this 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 person, and uh, Mike obviously really helped with that because um, the thing that he, gra- he gravitated towards the most was the fact that you know like uh, Mike was a recent father. He had a two year old and a one year old, and he was struggling with those exact things with his sort of aspirations of wanting to be a director and a writer and like being a dad and all. And so that was kind of where we came together very beautifully. And I think uh, at the time I had made him sort of be this drag queen and he was hiding that from his kid, but then realizing that we're, we're so past that and like that, the reveal of that just wasn't that big of a deal anymore. Like we're culturally speaking, we're mm-hmm. so far beyond that at this point. So we kind of went back to the idea of like this, you know, him as a father wanting his kid to look up to him which I think was more universal and I think, you know, was something that everybody can sort of relate to. Um, and so I think the, the, the drag queen element um, and the sort of the sexual fluidity thing was just, it just seemed like it made sense for who this character was, you know, like just the sort of the, the this grifter who just, you know, couldn't really commit to any one thing and loved, you know, and glam rock seemed to sort of lend to the performance and the androgynous, androgynous mm-hmm. uh, nature of, of him as a person and, it it all just quite, sort of made sense. Oh, Sydney's a mess. Sydney's a mess. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. But Sydney a mess. is also. <laughs> but, a, but, he's, I... but he's redeemable. You know. To, yeah. You know. At the end of the yeah. day, it's not. He doesn't have some kind of pathological mental illness. Mm-hmm. Like he's actually has good intentions, and he, and he does make some good decisions, especially with a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, versus what he does for himself and his own personal health, and the you know his friends and the people around him. I just love flawed characters too. I mean, that's just more interesting. Well, JD, you had asked also what you know. We were talking about the themes earlier in the show about some of the sh- themes we noticed in Outfest generally, and that and Sydney's character is also another one of those themes of he is sort of post gender. He is sort mm-hmm. of post you know label. And I kept trying yeah. to figure out, wait, is this guy bi? Is he gay? Is he right. trans? Is he not? It is oh, very tricky. He's not any of those things. Yeah. And I and. I love the fact that you didn't spend a lot of time trying to explain this. He just yeah. was. Which people, I bet, will love. Right. Yeah. And I think, honestly, like, that was obviously a tricky thing for both of us because we're, you know, we're a couple of straight white guys making this film about this person and there's a sort of the sexuality element, you know, the sexual fluidity to it. And that was important to us where I was like, you know what, we're not going to make it about this. And we understand, you know, we also understand that there's a conversation that happens when it comes to these sort of topics and we understand the relevance and the importance of having these conversations. But I think we were at a point where we were like, hey, like, is it, do you think it's possible that we can watch this character and not ever really, like, care about what, he, what his sexual preference is and never really put him into a box? Because we know that Sydney, mm-hmm. the character, would not want to be put in a box, much like a lot of us don't want to be put in a box. And so we just kind of, like, let that be. 
we never really talked about it. We never, we never would have asked Sydney like, "Hey, what are you?" Like, it just never would have been a thing that we would have brought up, you know. So I, I'm glad that it worked out the way that it did because it was like, oh, this can be, this can be a sensitive subject. And I love that mm-hmm. his son thinks that he is a superhero. Oh yeah, well, at the, by, finally at the end of it. Well, there he is. He's wearing his, you know, Spoilers. spandex pants. I don't mm-hmm. think that's. <laughs> I don't think that was a spoiler. I think that was pretty early in the film. I'm sorry. Rewind. Do we have a delay? Is it like yeah, yeah. Uh, so? It's Can like we bleep that out. It's like Kramer versus Kramer if it was starring David Bowie. Hey, that's that's there. A, you go. That's great Absolutely. for somebody who hasn't seen the film. I think that's yeah. a yeah, fantastic, that's fantastic. We always play that game when we try to express to audiences what yeah. movies are like. Like, what movies is it a combination? Well, of? so you know, we talked a little bit about the glam thing, hunky dory. I always think of the David Bowie album. Right. So. Yes, well, you're spot on. It's very much a reference. It's luckily it's really really the only David Bowie reference that we we used because we didn't want it to make this uh, David Bowie movie. Um, but uh, Mike came up with the idea for Hunky Dory because when Hunky Dory came out as an album, David Bowie had had his, had just had his son, and a lot of what Hunky Dory the album is about is exactly that is about who you need to be, letting go of certain things, and who you need to be for your kid for your son. So it's whatever there's a lot of the struggles that he was going through. So it made sense for us because it was like the Glamour thing, the father and son thing. And it's like, you know, if you see the character, he's hunky, but he's also kind of not hunky. You know, like it's a great, he's kind of Dory, he's kind of hunky, he's kind of a little bit of both. It's a great drag name. It, it is a good drag name. Well, now, Barbecue, <laughs> I know there has to have been a moment where you took Thomas aside and said, honey, don't do that. Well, well, okay. What was that thing? Okay. Um, <laughs> Did you even watch any of the scenes when I was when I was doing the performance stuff? Yeah, I got to watch some of them, and um, I don't know from watching it. I knew from the beginning of the shoot that that your character, that Sydney, was a mess, mm-hmm. and so and so and so I didn't say anything because because. First of all, I wanted to look the prettiest. Make sure I look pretty. Make sure I look pretty. But 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 I knew that I knew that Sydney was going through issues and 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 every time your character would come into the come into the scene with me, I was like, I got this energy of she's going through it, she's going through it. So I wasn't gonna mm-hmm. try to change anything. Kind of went with that flow of, okay, Belinda's just in her own little world anyway. Mm-hmm. That's kinda how we are backstage and stuff. Mm-hmm. We're all concentrating on performing and stuff. So so that's why I didn't give any plus no, no one asked for any tips, but but I knew that the character didn't need mm-hmm. didn't need any of that kind of stuff. And I think that's that was the beauty of it too, is that he was kind of oblivious to, you know, what drag is and stuff. He kind of did his own thing. Sydney did. Sydney yeah. did. Sydney yes. Did. Yes. Sydney, Sydney did. did. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's important because I did. Bar- I did my research, obviously, and it's funny because when we first started shooting, uh, there was a, one of the first takes that we did. I, I realized I'm like, I think that was a little too good. I think I should t- tone it down a little mm-hmm. bit. Like it was just, it was too much. Good drag queen performance. Like it was just, like, Although, I got to tone it down say, and make it. Make I did. It, yeah. I had to kind of like make it a little bit less. Now I am not an expert in drag, but I have to say, even though not the best drag queen in the world, that opening scene, mm. and I don't think this is a spoiler because this is the opening scene, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, besame mucho. That was sensual, and I could not take my eyes off you. Oh, thank you. I well, mean, I was. I was. It was well shot. Oh, yeah. It was well-directed. It was done in slow motion. I'm sorry. That Maddie's yeah. in the corner filming. <laughs> yeah, he said no. it was done in slow motion. Facebook, Facebook and I pondered how you here. did that, like what it must have sounded like and all that. Did but you sped up? It was in slow motion? Yeah, no, we, we, did, uh, we did like double time so that we could then. 
slow, yeah, it was sensual and it caught me. It pulled me in. Well, you know? I mean, that's the idea, right? Like, get, get you right in the beginning. Yeah, this so wasn't that... like sort of like faux ha-ha, look at the guy in a dress. This was, no. this was uh, you know, art. And you didn't make fun of us. That was the main thing I was very yeah. afraid of. Of uh, always, you know, as clowns or he or said just... you were just above mimes for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, How much um, more disrespectful yeah. can mimes he and be? professional wrestlers? <laughs> exactly. That was the line. But but I think again, I think if you if you're paying attention, you do realize even though he's saying that when he's doing it, it matters to him. Oh yeah, it does a lot. matter to and him. And so like through that. I think we were, I mean, very much wanted to be respectful of, like, what, what that world is in, in yeah. that community. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hunky Dory is going to be showing at Outfest on July 9th at the Director's Guild at 9 o'clock. And um, I want to know what's next for you, even though right now we just want to think about Outfest. Um, well, what's next is Outfest right now. Right. <laughs> it's <laughs> most important, of course. But uh, Mike is um, uh, the wonderful and talented director, Michael Curtis Johnson. He's up. Unfortunately, couldn't be here because he's in Chicago, oh. or more appropriately, he's in Juliet, which is just outside of Chicago, uh, prepping for prepping for his next film. And uh, I think I think I have a small part in it. So at some point, I'm gonna go out there and work on that. And then, um, uh, and then, yeah, you know, there's stuff in the pipeline that I'm, I can probably talk about, but it's you never know. It's like. It's well, the thank jinx, you. you know what I mean? If you start talking about it, then it doesn't yes. happen. Yeah. You're like, hey, whatever happened with that project? You're like, um. well, thank you so much for coming in, and thank you for giving yes. Barbecue a job. Thank oh, you. It was my pleasure. <laughs> she, 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 came, she came into the audition, and it was just like, we, we I was telling her earlier, I was like, you came into the audition, we immediately knew we were going to cast you. It was like, well, you, you were wise. That yeah. was a wise was, choice. No, but I'll, guys, give, I'll give you a 20 later, boom. <laughs> <laughs> Tomas Pais, uh, the star and co-writer of Hunky Dory at Outfest coming up this week. Thank you so much for being here. Thank with you us. guys so much for having us. Honestly, it was, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, great. Well, thank you. And we'll be right back after this break. Filmmaker Barbara Hammer coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. Internationally recognized as a film artist who's created over 80 films and videos, Barbara Hammer is considered a pioneer of lesbian feminist experimental cinema. Born in Hollywood in 1939, she made her first film, Skizzy, in 1967 about her own coming out process. Her 1974 short, Dyke Tactics, is considered the first film celebrating lesbian love to be created by a lesbian. Her 1988 documentary, The Female Closet, exhibits her continued interest in recovering the hidden histories of lesbians, bisexuals, and gays in Western culture. With her 16mm films in the 70s, video in the 80s, web-based projects in the 90s, and later digital video, Hammer wanted her audiences to, quote, leave the theater with fresh perceptions and emboldened to take active and political stances for social change in a global environment. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia and read by volunteers like me, Mary Gay Hutcherson. What is Top Gun? You think it's a story about a bunch of fighter pilots. It is a story about a man's struggle with his own homosexuality. That's serious. That is what Top Gun is about, man. You've got Maverick. All right, he's on the edge. All right, and you've got Iceman and all his crew. Right. They're gay. And they are they represent the gay man. Right. All right, and they're saying, go, 
go the gay way. Go the gay way. He could go both ways. What about Kelly McGillis? Kelly McGillis, she's 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 heterosexuality. She's saying no, 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 no. Go the normal way. Play by the rules. Go the normal way. And they're saying no. Go the gay way. Be the gay way. Go for the gay way. All right. That is what's going on throughout that whole movie. He goes to her house, right? All right. It looks like they're gonna have sex. You know, they're just kind of sitting back. He's taking a shower and everything. They don't have sex. He gets on the motorcycle, drives away. Next scene. Next scene, you see her. She's in the elevator. She is dressed like a guy. She's got the, the cap on. She's got the aviator class. She's wearing the same jacket that the Iceman wears. She is, okay, this is how I gotta get this guy. This guy's going towards the gateway. So I gotta bring him back. I gotta bring him back from the gateway. So I'm gonna do that through subterfuge. I'm gonna dress like a man. All right? <laughs> that is how she, she, she approaches it. Right. Okay. Welcome back. You're listening to IMRU Radio. I'm Abby Dees. And I'm Wenzel Jones, and the time is now 8.24. Now, we did have a winner. Sherry Warner has won a pair of tickets to see Ham, a musical memoir, the Sam Harris vehicle. But we still have four pair left. So if you'd like to snag some, give us a call at 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. And we know you're listening because we're Facebook living, aren't we? Facebook, yep. I don't even we're know what doing, that means. This is sort of a, our pilot thing. We're very quiet about it. And we know you're watching. I so, wish you guys had told me I would have worn some makeup. Well, you got <laughs> she's got enough <laughs> radio as I get to come here in my old clothes and I'm not wearing hat. any makeup. My hair's a mess. <laughs> and we're still Plus, you with know, J.D. I swear during the break and say horribly but inappropriate Facebook things. doesn't care about that. You look well, great. Anyway, yeah. on to our next fabulous guest. Um, Lazy Eye is the newest feature film by Emmy-nominated director Tim Kirkman and also going to be at Outfest. And he's both a documentarian and a creator of feature films and received a grand jury prize for his first narrative feature film Loggerheads at Sundance Film Festival in 2005. And Lazy Eye is the film that is showing on July 16th at 1.30 at the Directors Guild as part of Outfest. Um, welcome, Tim Kirkman. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's great to be back and seeing some old friends here. One of the things we were talking about was the themes and uh, noticing that growing older is something we're starting to see more stories of reflected back at us. And this film isn't explicitly about that, but that was sort of the first thing that I noticed about it is sort of what happens when we grow up a little bit. And I wonder if that was something that was on your mind. Yeah, it was very much on my mind. I mean, one of the, uh, there were two things that really were were the, the I would say the engine behind the story. One of them was the challenges of getting a little older. I remember turning forty and my my eyes changing dramatically, and that was a big thing. And it's just sort of like that that period in your life when you're looking back at all the choices that you've made and and thinking like, I have some time left, hopefully, you know, and, and maybe. Did I make the right choices? And then the other thing was that I wanted... to get used to progressives. That's such a great great (laughs) way to describe this movie, though. Did I make the right choices and things like that? It's like a moment of reflection. Yeah, I mean, how uh, we all have those moments, right? I mean, it feels like something... And the other thing was... um, and I, as as much as I would love to say that I won at Sundance, it was actually Outfest that won. I won the Grand Jury Prize for out, for Loggerheads. Wikipedia wanted, strikes out one but, more time. But I'm really proud of that. It was one of those moments where I was like, you know, it, I made these. I've, this is my fourth film at Outfest, and uh, the first one was Dear Jesse, which was a documentary, and then The Night Larry Kramer Kissed Me, which was a performance film, mm-hmm. then Loggerheads, which was. Uh, a film about a, 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 a gay adoptee looking for his parents who was also HIV positive. And with La- Lazy Eye, the the thing that I wanted to say about what really was the the reason I was making it is I wanted to make a, um, a film that had an, uh, LGBT characters where being queer was not 
the obstacle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this was the first time that I'd ever oh, attempted that. So it was it's about aging very much, you know, about being middle aged or approaching. Old, are they? They're not actually but they've changed. it's, it's they approaching look... middle age. And that's why the eye thing was so critical for me because oh. it was like, oh bifocals, great, okay. No, yeah. I'm middle aged. I remember that progressives trying to Isn't figure out. Isn't that a line from the movie? No, yeah. not uh, bifocals, darling. Progressives. Or trifocals, yes. I bet you you know what happened to me is that my, my optometrist told me I needed trifocals and I yeah. fired them. Yeah. And then a year later, I could not see anything back on my computer, so I had to go crawling back and, and, and accept the fact that I needed trifocals. And if you were under 45, you do not know what we're talking yeah. about. But you but will. But you will. Yeah. But you will. You will. So and of Tim, course, <laughs> go ahead. So, so we don't um, reveal too much. How would you describe the story? I'm being duct taped right now. Hmm. <laughs> Lazy Eye is about two guys who met in New York City 15 years ago and can reconnect for the first time in 15 years. For a weekend in Joshua Tree, and they Joshua not... Tree of all places. It's such a beautiful, oh, so magical, yeah, for the film. Place. And it's got that. No offense, I don't mean, but it's got that weekend vibe where it takes ah. place over a, a certain amount of time, and it's these two guys. And you know, you have that sexy, sexy element. Like, who can't identify with that? Like seeing an old lover from a long mm-hmm. time ago, like maybe a first lover or something. So it's got that sort of magic to it. But, it, but it's got that thing where it unfolds over a short period of time out in the desert, mm-hmm. and they talk. They talk about a lot of things. It's very interesting. Thanks. Well, Weekend, I mean, that that's the highest form of flattery. I love that film. I think it's a beautiful film. Um, yeah, they talk a lot. Yeah. But I, it's also, you know, it's about memory, too. You're, mm. You know, you're... It, 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 was that an, you think that was an accurate description? I mean, it's 15 yeah. years, but yeah. it's also... You know, it's about so many things. It's about memory. It's about how we remember things. It's about stories. Mm-hmm. It's about how you uh, create stories in order to uh, cope yeah. or, or, you know, think about your past and you write a narrative so that mm-hmm. it makes more sense, so that you justify the choices that you've made. And then there's somebody who throws that mirror in front mm-hmm. of you and says, that's not what happened. I knew you yeah. back then. This is, you know, that's not the memory at all. That's This is what happened. And so then you have to rewrite it and... That can be pretty uncomfortable. Well, and I, I want, just want to shout out, it pleased my little socialist heart no end when you gave that one character the line, uh, the one who owns a house says, oh, this is Joshua. Palm Springs is fancy. Joshua Tree is real folks. And he says, real <laughs> folks don't have second houses in the desert. Because <laughs> <laughs> I always feel that way. It's like sure. all quality gays have a house, a second house in the desert. And you almost feel like you failed miserably if you don't have one. I'm right. sorry, Wenzel. I know. Well, I don't have a first house. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very sexy and it's very romantic. You got the vibe with the two leads and, and, and yeah. And again, like I'm a lesbian and I enjoyed it. Who can't identify with, you know, running into an old lover? And there is Thanks. something, yeah, there, there's something, um, there's a universal thing, you know, that we recognize in that. But I was also curious if... If you're sort of also bringing in that anxiety that I know a lot of gay men really acutely have around sort of turning 40. And I don't mean to generalize. <laughs> they have a turning 30. Or turning 30, you know, yeah. but but that is something, that's a conversation that we have a lot in this community is that sort of making peace with that. Yeah. It's it's not something that I was thinking about very much. Actually, it was I was really thinking more of, about the universal aspects of it. Mm. Mostly because I think it was so, uh, when I was confronting it, it was so medical. 
it was because people. I have amblyopia as well. I also used to be a graphic designer, and there's some <laughs> other parallels in the movie. But the the thing that if you have amblyopia, that hits you a little bit earlier. And amblyopia it is it's a lazy eye. Yes, it's sort of the slang for lazy eye. But uh, I mean, lazy eye is the slang for amblyopia. That was a big deal when I was a little kid. And I haven't mm-hmm. heard that term since I since for decades. And then I saw this movie. I thought, wow, lazy eye's bad. Wait, mm. my, my <laughs> sister has that. And how is she not doing reading glasses? I need to talk to her. Um, and there's very and there's versions of it, you know, variations yes. of it. But yeah, and the exercise. But it was actually more about, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, more about the universal aspects of of life choices more than anything. And so the the external the externalized part of it, which is his eyes have changed. Metaphor. So what else are you going to, you know, what else do I need? My vision is changing. How how do I need to adjust? You know, that kind of Not to put too fine a point on it, but I also, in the lazy of the lazy eye, does that, what does that mean to you? Like, (sighs) I don't know. I just feel like getting back to your socialist kind of thing. I mean, I actually feel like uh, I was writing from a very personal place when I was writing Dean, especially Mm -hmm. with who he was. Right. Um, And... Well, you're not an artist anymore. You're a graphic designer. Okay, well, I'm not a democratic socialist anymore. Now I have two houses. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like what are sort of the <laughs> compromises that you make? And I associate the term lazy with becoming complacent, becoming the kind of uh, the person who was an activist lying in the streets in 1990, mm-hmm. you know, in New York City, and then realizing, like, well, do I really have time to go to that protest? You know, well, you, you said your I mean? second home in the desert, right? Yeah. And yeah. just sort of like, and not really. It's not someone who doesn't care anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's someone who's gotten comfortable. It's so expensive to heat. I the mean, pool. that's yeah. kind of what yeah. the big chill was about, too. Remember, they were like, you know, oh, you know, I'm yeah. not the enemy. The cops aren't the enemy anymore. We're not kids protesting. Right, right. Yeah, there's a certain self consciousness about that. It, yeah. As you kind of or like make have to make peace with that. Yeah, and, the choices you and made, it, and it's also a luxury to be able to do that. Like you, we could all say like, "Oh, this is first world problems, right? This mm-hmm. is not a movie about Syrian refugees." But right. it's it's also uh, it's a privilege. It's sort of a luxury to be able to be self reflexive at all. Well, something that I was curious about, and, and the movie is more than two people talking, but a great deal of it is two people talking. And as the director, how do you keep that from just going flat? Because it doesn't, but I realize that's not an easy thing to do. I think you hire great actors. And I think you hire actors who are compelling to watch and who are interesting to watch. And you work with a cinematographer and an editor and a costume designer and a production designer and who who help get it, uh, who help make it come alive. And I had had an abundance uh, of of that, of wealth. I had a wealth of... of, but it was scripted. They weren't improvising at all. At any no, they point. weren't were they, improvising. Or did you let them? But they're so naturalistic in the way that they presented it. Oh, absolutely. You know, that it felt, uh, and we cut a lot. We actually cut a lot because. Wow. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was chatty. And, uh, <laughs> it well, was chatty. But, it's, but you know, it's it's. Uh, but it was engaging. I and mean, you are completely s- engaging. It feels like a mystery unfolding. No, I mean, I'm being honest. Can't say that about all the films. I've seen. And you set it in a beautiful <laughs> place, mm-hmm. like Joshua Tree, which is endlessly. But you want to know what their relationship is, the way you draw us in. And I love the opening. It starts with, I love, I, you know, when you watch a lot of movies, you're like, oh, okay, this filmmaker knows what they're doing. The way you, you pull us into the story. And then you don't know what's happening, what's going to happen, what their relationship was, what is their relationship going to be. So you do follow along. And there's a little bit, you know, right when you feel like, oh, okay, there's a conflict, you know. And cool. I love the casting in this movie. How hard was it to find two men with that kind of a chemistry? And also, I who would be naked? I, 
And a lead that looks a bit like you. A bit. Oh, my God, he does kind of. And I love that actress who played the the workplace psychic, Michaela Um, Michaela Watkins. That woman is so funny. Yeah, she's wonderful. She's wonderful. And, you know, it's such a a throwaway role. She came in for a day. But it's a critical role, narratively, you know, because that's – he's the – She's the reason that we kind of connect with him. And did you read a ways. lot of pairs together, or did no. you just like these two people so much they had to make it work? Or? The actors are Lucas Nier Verbrugge and Aaron Costaganis, and they're both wonderful actors who are out of Tisch you know, School of oh. the Arts at NYU. They're both seasoned theater actors who are uh, really great looking, and yes. they have a lot of charisma, and they're just they're they take what they do very seriously. I actually think we have a clip that we'd like to um, play. Oh, cool. Just a little bit of the film. Let's find out what it is. Yeah. You know, most of my clients want something safe. They want something traditional. Two heads in the sky, something like that. Wait, what's two was... heads in the sky? Oh, you know, you've seen it before. Big faces of the movie stars over a landscape. It's just so boring. Okay, but aren't those movies usually boring? Yes, but the poster doesn't have to be. Oh. I tell my clients, if we can distill the movie down to its essence and tell the story uh, in a single image, then people actually have to engage with the poster. They have to interact with it. And, hey, maybe it'll make them want to go see the movie more, you know? And what does the client say? They say, great, now let's put two heads in the sky. (laughs) Which I do because I'm a tool. (laughs) I know I shouldn't care about this. It's just a stupid poster. But, you know, still, it's... No, that's great. That is the guy that I remember. What, crazy? No, passionate. Do you remember our first actual date? You took me to see this awful movie downtown. Awful? Yeah, I was at some artsy theater on Houston about um, this young boy who falls in love with an old lady. You don't mean Harold and Maude? Yes. Oh my God, that film. I just remember thinking to myself, why is this guy taking me to see this? Okay, stop talking, please. No, it was just, it was so sad and weird and pretentious. I am holding a knife here. And then the Cat Stevens music. Seriously, stop. Harold and Maude is my favorite movie of all time. It's everybody's favorite movie. And, <laughs> and I, noticed, I noticed in Dean's office you had mock-ups, of, and one of those was Harold and Maude. Yep. Yes. Well played, Harold sir. And Ma- <laughs> I'm glad. To, thank you for noticing, I'm oh. going to say. No, no I, I, I looked at all the movie posters he had on his wall. But th- that discussion about the floating heads, as they were talking, I thought, how many movie posters, one sheets, have I seen yeah. mm-hmm. with just heads floating? Now I'll never see it again without thinking, ugh, lazy. <laughs> what happened to the fourth head? Didn't have a good enough agent. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Well, so what's – I'm, I'm asking what's next in the pipeline, but of course the only thing we care about is Outfest. But still, what's next in the pipeline? I am I have written a script about uh, Lyndon Johnson's chief of staff, Walter Jenkins, and I'm really excited about this. And why do we need to hear this story? Because Walter was arrested for having sex with another man in a public restroom. Now I'm fascinated. Yay. Three weeks before the Goldwater LBJ election, and he was a married father of six, Catholic, and was one of the most beloved and important and uh, powerful and uh, respected people in Washington whose life was ruined and who's part of LGBT history and and deserves uh, his narrative to be told. 
How do we find out what you're up to and if we want to watch this down the road? Cool. Lazy Eye? Or well, Lazy Eye, yeah, we're going to talk all about oh, okay, where okay. people can find Lazy Eye um, for the next things coming. I don't know. TimKirkman.com. Okay. TimKirkman.com. And you'll be at your outfit screening with the stars? I will be there with um, Aaron and Lucas and Michaela and the producers who, who are wonderful. And I'm, I'm really excited. Thank you so much for having me on the show. This is really oh, great. Our I love pleasure. seeing you guys again. Our pleasure. So we have been talking to the director of Lazy Eye, Tim Kirkman. And Lazy Eye is going to be at Outfest Saturday, July 16th at 1.30 at the Director's Guild. So outfest.org. Get your tickets. Go. Thank you, Tim Kirkman. Thank Thanks you so much guys. for coming out. Thank it's you. so fun to meet these yeah. people after you've seen the movie. It's like, oh, real people did that. Because it seems so <laughs> magical when, when you see the finished product. product. Blah, product. <laughs> you know, a few uh, months ago, we had somebody who, an actor in, who played a serial killer. And so when he came in, there was just a little bit of an anxiety, like, oh, God, he's a serial killer. But no, he's just an actor playing a serial killer. So, okay. So we move on now Back to... Back to J.D. DeSalvatore, the expert of, in all things Outfest. So we've had all these conversations. You've been here, part mm-hmm. of these conversations. Um, anything that struck you so far about our guests and what they're adding to our the film oeuvre? Well, I'm just thrilled for Outfest. I'm excited. It's good to see Kirkman again. I'm trying to remember what our... Because we had a great conversation, I think, at your after party. I'm, I, yep. I can't remember what we were talking about. Well, maybe not say here, <laughs> knowing me. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? Dorothy Parker quote, if you don't have anything nice to say, come stand next to me. Um, I'm thrilled. I love this. I love that people, you know, core cinema is still important. And these are these are great stories that need to be. And I was really impressed. You know, I went out and had a conversation with Zoe's grandmother mm-hmm. on the yeah, break. Zoe Luna, who was Oh, just we had a here. really good conversation. Yeah, Grandma was waiting outside during wow. while we were doing that. And? And photographing heavily. Well, you know, they're worried about immigration with Trump and everything, you know, so we had a very good conversation about immigration, if you will, you know, since it seems to be a topic, you know, again, the conversations are starting, you go see movies, you meet fascinating, interesting people, and you have great conversations, that's what Outfest is all about, and like Tim said, he'll actually be at his film, so you can see his film and then go up and talk to him afterwards. That's very cool that you can actually interact with the, the people who are doing this, that that, that sort of veil has it's been part lifted. Of it. You know, and that's kind of what you were talking about, J.D., is that this is a community event. It's not just you sitting in a dark theater, you no. know, and then going home. You're, it doesn't have to be. And you meet all sorts of, I don't want to name drop, but my God, you meet all sorts of interesting people at Outfest. Like you're just, oh, there's David Hyde Pierce, you know, or there's, oh, I have an unnatural crush on jesse ferguson and i turned around he doesn't well i'm a lesbian it makes no sense but my god he's so cute and i was talking to somebody and he came running up at the dga atrium and i was just like jd don't say anything don't say anything don't because i was afraid i put Mm -hmm. my foot in my mouth i was like nice to meet you but needless to say you can run into almost anybody in at outright yeah it's Uh, true so tim kirkman by the way folks is actually still here we we said goodbye but he's actually sitting here (laughs) he is free to leave but you know if he has any thoughts about outfest this year who've you met at outfest that's interesting i was just thinking about like what you were saying uh and every year i keep thinking maybe out, you know, Outfest is going to either change and expand or like not just Outfest, but all the LGBT film festivals. Mm-hmm. Like, do we, as we progress socially and politically, topic, do we it? need to yeah. have this festival? Yeah. And yes, I mean, we do. I'll be damned if like Orlando doesn't happen. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like suddenly we, I'm like, oh yeah, we, we have to have 
Tim, you asked a question that I was actually just going to ask. And so I'm going to ask it back at you and you, J.D., is is in this day of streaming, when we could actually do Mm -hmm. a virtual Outfest, is this relevant? Is Outfest... uh, Don't you want to be around everybody and meet interesting people? Okay, for people like me who are introverts... And I'll just, I'll, I, you, know, you know, well, you can be an introvert or LGBT people are kind of friendly and engaging, you know. Well, it sounds like the after party is important. And the pre-parties and whatnot. And like I said, I've yeah. met interesting politicians. I'm trying to think of the most interesting person I've met there. I've met so many interesting people. I'm impressed by filmmakers myself. Me too. So I'm always, ex- I've met, I think, I'd be surprised if there isn't a gay filmmaker I don't know at this point. But I will corner them and talk to them. My favorite thing to do is when I see a short or something with a new filmmaker, Half the reasons why I have the friends I have today is because I literally go up to them after the screening and I'm like, hello, we're going to be friends whether you like it or she not. She stands quietly <laughs> yeah. next to them and says nothing. No, no. I've made some is... friends and then they've subsequently gone on to become quite famous and huge. And you can tell already from the shorts, you know, well, there's always one that stands out. There's always a good little short in there. The shorts are a great time, too, you know. And it's a great place for introverts. And I'll tell you why. OK. OK. So, yeah, the parties are great. It's great to talk to people. But the other thing that I think is so interesting about film that you you can't do in any other medium is that you're in a dark room with a bunch of strangers mm-hmm. and especially when it's a full house like there's nothing like a sold out house mm-hmm. of the same people watching the same movie at the same time mm-hmm. at the same you, know, you can't pause it you're all just in this having the same experience that's really rare right now like when do we get that as a social uh, event. That's true. Like, in other words, it happen. might actually be talk- more necessary now in this age in where some we're ways, so yeah. disconnected. Well, I talk to the Maybe. people around me. I always meet people in the theater. You know, there's always an organization or a sure. group that, sure. that co-sponsors community collaborators. They have 42 community collaborators. So like the gay and lesbian lawyers or this group or that group. Mm-hmm. So you get to meet them. And the receptions are not so much parties. They're literally, you know, they're I receptions. I used to be a president so of the gay and lesbian lawyers. Did you know that? I did not know that. And I would just say we weren't that fun at parties, but maybe it's changed. Oh, you're, you're so, so funny. <laughs> Everyone I know that belongs to that organization, I think, says the same thing. And I'm like, but you're all nice. What's, what's the, That's true. The nice thing about group. after parties, though, I think, would just be talking to people that movie? you did not bring with you. You because yeah. to me, movies it's have always easy. seemed like the anti date. It's like you sit together in the dark, not talking, and then you have to talk about But the you have movie. to stand in line to get a soda, and you have to stand in line yeah. to get food, and then you go out back. And people talk to me oh, yeah. all the time. I don't know that I look friendly, but strangers talk to me a lot. So. Isn't that kind of sexy, though, to like go on a date and be in the dark for two hours and not get to talk? I mean, it's just feel the vibe. There's something kind of. I just rather no? talk to the, really? the strangers. I really would. I just love yeah, talking yeah. to people I'll never see again about something I just saw. Well, That's I cool. meet people at That's the beginning funny. of the festival. And then, you know, the other interesting thing, the other th- part of the festival I like, again, maybe I'm a kook, but all these filmmakers fly in from around the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like last year and you'll meet. Like, you'll see their film and you'll meet them, and then you'll see them all week. It's 10 days, so. But I love having those conversations and programmers from around the country come. But the filmmakers are really interesting. It's not necessarily people, the actors as well, that are local. So they fly in from, last year I met all those Australian women, you know, and Mm -hmm. Canadian too. And she's still getting them out of her house. I, so I, I'd like to ask the question that I don't know if it's really okay for me to ask, but I think a lot of people who've been out for a long time are a little jaded and kind of think, is there anything good? Like, you know, there's we have had quality struggles like any any independent cinema. You know, there's always the, you know, we all remember some god-awful film that we saw, you know, at a festival, yeah. you know. And oh, yeah, that's part of the fun. So. <laughs> Okay, so, you know, are we getting better? 
Are movies getting better? I think they were better this year. I think now, I think it was really exciting when everyone could videotape, get a video camera and make a movie. So in the old days, we had a lot of bad films because just people that were able to raise $100,000, $200,000 made the movies. That didn't necessarily make them talented filmmakers. Then people could start making films on their uh, iPhone, like Tangerine. And then the first wave of those films that everyone made at home with their video cameras were like, eh. but now it's like, yeah, everyone can make a movie for less money and the talent and everyone's making movies and these programmers are picking the good ones because there's a lot to pick from. So it's there's an increase in the quality supply. was better this year, I thought, overall, as far as the films they programmed, as far as them being looking good, being very well crafted. So I think they probably rejected a lot of movies, I'm guessing. You sort of have a dilemma as a viewer because you want to support your community. You want to support, you know, artists who are starting out or artists who are doing stuff on a shoestring. Yeah, yeah. Um, But how do you sort of express the, you know, as a viewer, like, is there a responsibility that we have to say, you know, this didn't work? I do that all the time. Maybe I get away with it because I have the gray hair and I'm the dyke thing going for me. <laughs> really? Well, you know why I feel I can be critical to filmmakers is because I make movies. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and, and I want you to tell me, like, uh, we are filmmakers uh, and the consumer is our our audience. So anyone can have an opinion about our films because we actually made it for you, the audience. So I personally at film festivals always listen to criticism. I mean, I can tell because when my movie screens, I always sit in the back of the audience during the first couple screenings. And I'm always a nervous wreck till I know people like it. Uh, and I sit in the back of the theater and if they start to shift in their seats, I'm like, I knew we should have tightened up, you know, that scene before. Like, we don't have a plot point right here. But I learned from every movie. I mean, when I made Eating Out 2 and toured around the country with all these cute young gay boys, I got to spend a lot of time with them, which is why I made Shelter Next, because I realized young gay men want to fall in love, you know, and they're they're not so much about partying and drugs and all that kind of stuff. You know, they... they are just want a romance so that informed my next film and then you know marine story came out of the fact that you know i met so many people in the military that could barely they weren't out at all so i felt like it was important so everything that has been told to me informs uh my next movie now there are filmmakers probably that don't like criticism but that's they're never going to grow as like a twitter but like public criticism like i mean how do you what do you think i mean i Jim? talk to people oh it's tricky i mean there's there are a couple of things i totally agree with you and it's it's funny uh, most of the filmmakers i know and respect and i wonder how you feel about this is but we know what's not working in our movies and at some point you know there's you have to let it go. It no hurts, one really doesn't it? needs to tell us a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're like, oh, yeah, well, that could be faster. Or that could be better. Or that could be different. But I know every mistake in every one of my yeah, films. I yeah, I mean, we know. And especially later on, like when you get a little bit of distance from it. But the, the thing that um, drives me crazy is when people review mo- the movie that I didn't make. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the movie they wanted to see. They wanted to see. And there's nothing oh, wrong with Oh, I see what you mean. They project- I know that. what you're talking about. I remember about. like the New York Times cri- uh, reviewed Dear Jesse, and he, he thought it was going to unseat Jesse. Jesse Helms or something like he thought that was the objective like mm-hmm. that it was gonna this movie was gonna make sure he didn't get reelected and they were it's it was, a big huge case oh, of missing wow. the point yeah it wasn't a journalistic yeah. inquiry at all it was actually a road movie personal diary about my family right. and mm-hmm. my home and you know and he you know it was a well, big critics, misstep I certainly critics as a writer are, I've certainly seen that where it's like well you you should have talked about such and such and I think yes but it was an 800 word piece about not that right. well you critics know? are another story you know the old saying if I may say it because I'm sure you say and it. I get it uh, if making a movie is a war, critics are the ones that come in and shoot the survivors. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. So to critics me. are uh, a little different yeah. from just the public but coming no, maybe, up to I'm you. I'm thinking, and, yeah, the public. Yeah. But oh, everybody public. has an agenda. Okay. No, but I think that's that's still the point, though, because everybody now yeah. is a critic. I was thinking. Or of, we make the movies for them. 
Yeah, Why exa- not? Exactly. The, the, their opinion does matter, unless we're being elitist and we're yeah. making it for a certain audience. Well, and as somebody who used to be a theater critic, and I imagine film as much the no same offense. way, a, a lot of the creation, you get so sealed into your own world that you completely sometimes just lose sight of what's good anymore because you're so in love with your work. And and I always oh, felt like it was yeah. my job to sit there and go, no, no, your navel is not that fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, well, as but, a... Yeah, as a producer, I find the notes I give the director and the writer at the beginning is exactly what's going to be in the New York Times review. Mm-hmm. Like, and I can tell you, like, it's slow here. This is unmotivated. People mm-hmm. are not going to ask this. Yeah. But I like to I like to learn because when you're on set and you're making these decisions, or even in the in the notes process with the script, especially, it's yeah, like, before you shot anything. Yeah, you got to yeah. go like. Every time I have to make a decision, I've made decisions as a producer where everyone's against me. And I just have to, I don't always stick to my guns, but sometimes I don't. And sometimes I do. And it's good when the audience, that first screening, and you're like, I was right or I was wrong. Or what did I learn? And what can I do different next time? So next time when I'm on set and I have an instinct, I'm going to stick to my guns and say no. Like this doesn't work or this works or casting. You must know what I mean, right? Yeah. I mean this was the – with Lazy Eye, it was I, – I could really feel the measure of what I had learned because it was uh, it was one of those situations where I had these two actors who were occupy almost ninety nine percent of the movie. You know, I mean, Lucas oh, wow. occupies not like every single scene in the movie, and I felt the luxury of being able to um, play a little bit more and to really experiment. Even though we had no time and we had, you know, no budget, <laughs> it was very, really fast and really furious. It was one of those situations where I did have a couple of those times where I thought, like, I really need to do it again. We need to go one more See, time. You know and what that I mean? I'm losing the light or we're losing the time. Yeah. But I said, we're going again. Because I knew I could make up the time in the next setup right. you know, and, somehow. And cut to the editing room when you're like, where's right. that shot we didn't get? Yeah. Let me ask you, um, just to change the subject very dramatically, sorry, but I wanted to ask you about the shorts. You said there were some fantastic shorts this year, JD. And. Um, I I want to know. I said it's always fun to go to shorts. Because ah. if one is bad, there's going to be another one in three it's, minutes. It's gonna. Uh, oh, there you go. And the okay. cool thing about having a badge is I go. To, I try to go to as many movies as I possibly can. And when I go to a bad one, I literally walk out. I'm like, I'm not even. I'm giving you 15 minutes, and I'm mm. leaving. And that way, I don't have a bad experience, and it doesn't stick with me. And I go in the other theater, and I see the movie I wouldn't have seen, and it ends up being a huge hit. So I love having that badge because I don't. If I bought a ticket and drove all the way down there just for one movie one week, I'd probably be mad if it was good. So you're gonna, you're guaranteed if you go see the shorts, you're gonna see something that that tickles. Yeah, your especially ch- check something. out international shorts and everything. Yeah. Boy shorts and girl shorts is just very popular program. I want to just do a little shout out to our, you know, six degrees. Of of Miss Barbecue and Outfest that it... she also has a wonderful short um, a cameo in a short film called Say You Will which is a lovely film and you will recognize her voice immediately in this thing now I'm working on that I learned okay okay no wait okay it's a way of saying okay. It's I'm working on my inner drag queen. It's coming along. Oh, so it, go see Say You Will. And yes, get it now. It starts here at Outfest. It starts here now, and you will hear her say that way better than I say that. Um, but yes, and so logistics for um, logistics for Outfest one more time since we're coming to the end of our Outfest special. Uh, what do you mean? Uh, it starts Thursday. Right. That's opening night gala. Highly, highly recommended. It's worth the ticket price. And then just, you know, you can buy your tickets at outfest.org or just head down to the DGA on Saturday or Sunday, like all day next weekend. Pick up a program, talk to people, then buy your tickets. I mean, just hang out and have a cup of coffee and 
look at the movies. Up. Yeah, I think you just show up and then you can pick it's your movies. It's such a great place to hang out. Don't you think? It's really great. I told, I'll be There's, there. Look for me. Even with, if you don't go to a movie, it's yeah. just sort of like hang out, look through yeah. the catalog, talk to people. And DJ right. seems to be yeah, sort right. of Grand Central. Like even though oh, it's yeah. going to be at the Red Cat or the Ford busy. Theater, it seems like DJ is kind of the home, the, base. The home base. Yeah, there's, there's screenings all over town. Yeah. But uh, DGA is kind of my home base because it's, you know, I get that parking and then I stay there and I stay there all day. And then, you know, I'll meet somebody. Maybe I run into Tim. I'm like, hey, let's go grab lunch. And I think you got a little insight into how filmmakers talk because we kind of devolved into that, didn't we? Yeah. Well, like, <laughs> the editing <laughs> and the cutting and the repeats. I'm like, oh, my, maybe that's not interesting to other people. But we can it's talk about this stuff for hours. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, show up and you run into people. I'll run and into talk people. talk to and- J.D. And there's and lots of restaurants to, to eat around there and coffee houses. And, and like I said, you meet. You, you, and I, panels. I, and panels. I love and, the panels. Yeah. yeah, and they're going to have some good panels. And there are all sorts of different ticket levels, too. I noticed that. You can get a pass. You can get, like, a little ticket bundle and stuff yeah. like that. Do so they have definitely, student tickets and stuff? I don't know. I don't know, okay. but I just know that if it says high sexual content, it will sell Go. out. Oh, yeah. So yeah. buy those tickets. And then the exciting thing is whatever is a big hit during the week, they're going to program in the second weekend. So there's a bunch of TBAs. And it's really fun ah. to like go see boy shorts or something at 11 o'clock on a Saturday or Sunday. Again, everyone's in shorts. They have a little reception. You meet people. You have coffee. It's like it's a great time. And like I said, there's some movies that just so if you want to really be emotionally moved, you know, Wow. How often does that happen with a movie? But there's some great docs and foreign films, so like, it may Just not go. seem as exciting as that, you know, as, as all the other films. But take a chance. So I seem to be mishearing things and misreading things, but I know I got this one right. Your advice, JD, is just go and see something outside of your usual comfort zone. Comfort zone, yeah, yeah. and you'll you won't be wrong. I mean, I'm fascinated when I don't know something and they're educating the hell out of me. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming in and educating us all, all about Outfest, the lovely, the delightful J.D. Yep. And thanks for sticking around, Tim. Thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, well, I, I feel bad we said goodbye and then just left you And then you were there. just sitting there <laughs> and then I kind just of like started talking to him. <laughs> with a microphone in front of his face. Can I speak? And he's like, I yes, know. please join Go the ahead. conversation. Well, that is it for tonight. Obviously, we could keep going. I know, but our thanks to IMRU's coordinating producer, Steve Pry, tonight's director, Matthew McLaughlin, our board operator, Federico Garcia, and our Rainbow Minute producers, Judd Proctor and Brian Burns. And you can find us online at imruradio.org and follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio, where the link to the latest show is posted every Tuesday afternoon and please like us if you haven't liked us there we want to get like we want to get our badge our thousand badge and we'll close with a song from the off-Broadway show Forbidden Hollywood that posed a question that gets asked a lot in this town good, good night. night who's gay in Hollywood who's homosexual in Hollywood who's undetectable acting hetero and who at Metro has locked their closet door tight and who at Warner's hides boys in corners? And tell me who Madonna talks in at night. Who's gay in Hollywood? Find me one lesbian in Hollywood. I know for sure it isn't Jodie Foster. Boy, that would cost her her movie stardom for good. Before I lose my mind, you gotta help me find who's gay in Hollywood. Come out, come out, wherever you are. Oh, come on now. You know, it's very chic to be gay. Really, it is. Why, 10% of the world's population is. So how come I can't find one in Beverly Hills? Ah, well, you know something. I'm beginning to think that there's a cure for homosexuality. A SAG card. 
but you know, I think I'll find me one gay movie star in this dump tonight if it kills me. Even got me my searchlight here. Hmm. Let's see. How about you? No, well, just gotta keep on looking. Who's gay in Hollywood? There must be one gay star in Hollywood. Since I'm Bette Midler and the Perry Como, my fans are homo and in New York I'm a star. But out in Brentwood, no culture gentwood admit that he plays gypsy while in his car. Oh, yeah, yeah, Hollywood. Tom Cruise will never cruise West Hollywood. Cause coming out would cause an awful panic from Cher to Zanuck and cause them their livelihood. No, no one here is queer, just go ask Richard Gere, who's gay in Hollywood. Just read the papers, he's straight, not gay, no way. 